Hello and welcome to the Fight Like a Girl podcast. Uh, I'm Chloe Moore and today I have been joined by the wonderful and amazing Jess Fraser. Um, I'm not going to delve too deeply into who she is because she's literally just about to introduce herself. So um, yeah, enjoy. There we go. Now we're recording. Everything is fine. (laughs) So... um, can you introduce yourself so that I don't have to? Because I know you've got a lot of accolades to your name. And <laughs> I wanna I wanna know how you describe yourself to people. <laughs> oh wow. So my accent's gonna give me away straight away to like a fair few of you listeners. But I am Jess Fraser. I am a black belt um, in Australia. I'm the head of Australian Girls and Geese. I was training out of Vanguard Pavilion Jitsu in Melbourne, but we're currently closed like everybody else, and yeah, so I'm yeah, just waiting out the, the COVID corona hellhole miasma. But <laughs> like me as a person, <laughs> um, what else? I um, I was a competitor for a great deal of my career, and I've trained a bunch of different gyms, and um, yeah, that's me in a nutshell, I guess. Don't know. I can't believe you didn't bring up being There's a koala. Probably to it, to it, to it. Oh, I'm koala jiu-jitsu, yeah, I am. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I'm, I'm koala jiu-jitsu. That is, that is the truth. So, And that, like, the reason for that is because it's really easy to remember, like, that chick from Australia, jiu-jitsu, like, oh, yeah, koala jiu-jitsu, you know, because I used to travel internationally a lot. Mm. So that was an easy way to introduce myself because people would remember that yeah yeah right so i'm gonna ask you questions and uh we'll see where we go from there right so the first one is um i did i did at least some research before speaking to you thank god um um, so i'm aware that uh jujitsu isn't your first martial art um yeah so can you take me through kind of what you've done before and what it was that actually attracted you to uh, jiu-jitsu as your staple um, sport. Yeah, cool. So I know you've got lots of questions for me. I feel like I could talk about this one question for a really <laughs> long time. So I don't know how long we have. But um, so I came from, um, before jiu-jitsu, I did Krav Maga um, and that was the first martial arts that I found. I was also at the time studying um, and practicing being a yoga teacher. So um, my first my first forays into like group based learning and like I don't know development of self or whatever pursuit of excellence was in yoga, like the physical excellence. I don't know, finding out more what you can do with your body was in yoga and Krav Maga. Um, I haven't spoke as much as I want to about um, my time in Krav because there's a lot around that story that um, wasn't my story to tell and I actually I spoke to my first coach about that and asked him if I could speak to some of that today um, because I haven't spoken about it before and I think it was really pivotal I think at that time in Krav was much more um, influential to me as a person as a coach um, with my outlook um, 
for BJJ as a sport, my approach to BJJ as a sport, um, Krav Maga itself, like physically, wasn't that influential, but some of my coaches um, that I first met there really were, and they changed the way that I saw the sport and my place in it and all that kind of stuff. So my place in martial arts as a whole. So um, I think that it was, yeah, pivotal in, like, what I've become and what I've achieved in jiu-jitsu um but it wasn't the right fit for me as a sport or a pursuit if that makes sense so I sort of like I was really at one extreme end with yoga teaching so I did study formally I went to school full-time for two years to do that after like a long time of practicing yoga as like a practitioner or whatever um so I had that at one end like this full zen kind of you know happy yoga vibe at one end and I had Krav Maga at the other end, which is like supreme violence and, um, yeah, really like stress-inducing training to um, expose you to stress a great deal and get you used to it and um, get you to be able to uh, act under duress, um, under the worst-case possible scenarios and to be able to think clearly within that or at least allow your body to move without, like autonomously from you making too many decisions, you know which definitely influenced my jiu-jitsu style and my approach to jiu-jitsu. Um, but I feel like when I finally found BJJ, well, it kind of found me, it was like the meeting in the middle of that. Like that was a spectrum of experience, you know, you're at one end and you probably go at the other and I was trying to blend them together by doing both and being fully wholeheartedly in both. Like I ended up becoming a Krav Maga instructor as well. Um, yeah, when I found BJJ, I just realised that like that's the melting pot that was the middle that was the balance of both where it's like super um fulfilling for your soul but also um yeah this like beautiful expression of like not violence but physicality you know so yeah i think that um that was that was huge huge in my life and like i like crab regard people ask me about usually ask me about what i did before jiu-jitsu because I think that there's some kind of physical element that might have um, influenced the BJJ, but it, like that part of it had nothing to do with BJJ. But all the mental part of it, what I was exposed to within Krav Maga and um, some of my influences and my like first mentors really um, helped me with BJJ, you know. So um, I feel like I didn't discover BJJ, it sort of found me from a couple of different angles, you know, and, like, um, I could see, I could physically see BJJ from the yoga studio that I used to teach out of, but I didn't know what it was. I was looking across an alleyway and I could see it, you know, and so I had eyes on it before I knew what it was and then with one of my um, Kremlgar courses, we went to Thailand and a guy choked me out from behind in a drill, so... I felt BJJ before I even knew what it was. You know, there was like a whole bunch of different ways that it came to me. But I guess um, I also at the time was like seeking more, I was seeking more development for me as an actual practitioner of Krav Maga. Like I wanted to upskill, you know. Mm. So I made, I feel like I made a bit of a mistake with both yoga and Krav Maga in that because I showed an aptitude for both of them and I liked them um, and I was doing them all the time, I thought, okay, well, I should do this 
as my job. I should teach this, you know. Mm. And in both areas, it kind of ruined it for me. Like I was doing way too much output and I wasn't filling my cup up, you mm. know. Like so I it was like with both yoga and Krav Maga, it was like I went through the stages of learning got to expert level or whatever the hell that means in either of those areas and like I'll sort of top my game, you know, and then moved into an instructor role as an extension of that. And I saw it as beyond like so, you know, you've got novice, intermediate, expert, then I I saw uh, instructing as like beyond expert. But the problem with that is it placed me in a a position where I was no longer learning. Mm. So... I'm doing all this output to like get people up to my level and they were coming up to my level and they'd meet me there and stuff and that's really cool. But I just didn't have great I didn't maintain mentors in the way that I should have and I didn't maintain my own learning in the way that I should have. So I started seeking out MMA. I thought, well maybe if I get like in some MMA classes I can um get even more badass at Krav Maga, you know. So I started going on a Saturday. I would teach all week with Krav Maga in the evenings and then I would go on a Saturday after my Saturday morning class. I would um, head down to a gym that was offering the martial arts classes and that was where I met my first BJJ coach. Yeah, so it was kind of like there was a lot going on to move from that space to to jiu-jitsu, yeah, yeah. Excellent. It sounds um, like similar to uh, like one of my friends' experiences in jiu-jitsu. Like they teach during the week and then they train over the weekend. And then so like when they don't get to train at the weekend, it feels like they haven't trained because they're teaching right. yeah. all the time. So yeah. like the two are very different and whilst – teaching kind of helps reinforce the basics it doesn't necessarily fill your cup for learning that's right yeah and I like I mean, there's, there's big lessons in that you know like definitely um I learned from my experience with yoga like I, I, I can't sit through a yoga class anymore like not at all not at all like if you see me at camp like I offer yoga for Tara and she is incredible and I know she is like the best yoga teacher in Australia, like she's just so wonderful to be around. Her energy is amazing, but you cannot get me to do two seconds of it. You know, and it used to be my passion. I did it for ten years as my, like you know, as my love, and then it became my work, right? And I, mm. I, I guess this is something for like, I don't know, not a forewarning, but just something to think about if you want to make BJJ your life. Mm. It does change it for you. It really changes the joy of it, and I. I went about it all wrong and, and probably because I didn't have um, enough mentors in my like in space around me. I didn't keep enough mentors. Definitely when I came through school and when I came through all my learning or whatever, that I had access to it, but I just didn't maintain those relationships and that's on me. That was my fault. But what I was doing was like, okay, cool, so how much money do I need to earn this week? Say a yoga class pays me 100 bucks. I need to earn like $1,500 a, a week to, to feel good. So I've got to teach 15 classes, right? And that's just not the way to go about it. Like, that's not your number. It's something that I learned way later on, like way, way later on, is that you need to find out what your number is, like how many classes you can output and still feel okay. 
um, and then see if that supports you. And if it doesn't support you, you need a side hustle, you know, which is like if that that informs why I A give very strongly, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and it like, and if people don't know what A gig is, it's Australian Girls and Gig, and it's what I do and has done, done as my life work in the jiu-jitsu community. But it's, 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 there's a real reason why, you know, like everyone for all of my jiu-jitsu career, like I'm four years into my black belt now, but like I was would not teach. I would not teach, you know, and I really protected that for a very long time and I still sort of do, you know, like in, in Vanguard, I don't teach. I like to make it really clear. I'm not the teacher here. I'm a black belt on the mat and I'll absolutely help you. But Marty's the coach, you know, because I still need a space to learn and to train. Otherwise, I know I'll break it for myself, you know. I've seen myself do it before and I didn't protect it before. And BJJ, like I love it so much that I can't break this one. Like this is like my little fragile little dove that I hold in my hands gently, you know. Like I cannot and I will not fuck it up for myself because if I do, like, I don't know, I will lose my mind because it's so wrapped up in my identity, you know. So, like, yeah. Yeah, so I I know all that stuff now and I approach me today differently because, yeah, because of that experience. Mm. This is good. Yeah. I like that you're learning. This is nice. Yeah. <laughs> you take past experiences Learning. and you learn from them. This is, <laughs> it's revolutionary. <laughs> I try. <laughs> yeah, I um, oh, the question that I was going to go on to next kind of it doesn't flow very well. Yeah. Um, although I'll, I'll go on to the next one. Like earlier in your career, uh, your relationship with the sport was yeah. uh, very different to what it is now. So yeah, like can you walk me through like how your mindset changed when you entered the sport and how it's evolved over time to where you are now? Um, there's been so many phases, so many phases, and I think everybody will experience them. Sometimes it overlaps with the belt, sure. Like kind of broadly speaking, there's a white belt kind of mentality, there's a blue belt mentality or whatever. Um, definitely, I mean, I've been, I've been, like I said, I've been in my black belt for four years and I think that I am completely different as a black belt now than I was four years ago, you know, and a lot of that is to do with competition and the mindset um, that you're in and you resonate in um, as a competitor. Definitely the people I surround myself with as a competitor is quite different to who I surround myself with now um, and even, like, with the people that I still, that I've, like, kept around me um, I'm just in a different space with it, you know, like it's, yeah, it's really different. I think that in the beginning of jiu-jitsu, I just wanted to be the best. Now, I just want to, like, um, be involved. I would like to train, you know, especially, like, with all the COVID crisis and stuff, it makes you see everything different now that you can't do it, you know. Um, so, 
my my want for doing B today is not about dominating. <laughs> it's about I just want to be involved in it, you know. And I, I want to be. I really enjoy being good at it. That's definitely part of it. But it's a, I, I think that it's more my relationship with that that's changed. Like back in the day, I wanted to be the best. I, I wanted to be better than other, and that's just not how I feel now. I want to be really good. Like I really enjoy being good at jujitsu. <laughs> And I want to be even better, and that's um, a different feeling or a different experience, and definitely a different motivation than just wanting to be at the top. You know, like they sound similar, but they're not mm. the same thing. Yeah, definitely. I, I think I'm a bit more still now than I used to be. <laughs> I'm definitely more. I'm definitely more certain of myself and my ability to contribute and my worth, you know, mm. and I'm not, I don't really need to prove anything anymore. I don't feel like I need to complete anything or um, kick any boxes or whatever it is. I feel like I've done everything you can, really, in jiu-jitsu. Um, and if that's not enough for someone, they can fuck off. <laughs> 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 like that's my, that's my attitude now, you know, and it used to not be. Like <laughs> my attitude used to be a lot more. I wanted everyone to like me. I wanted mm. everyone to uh, accept me. I wanted everyone to be on board. I wanted to win everyone over. And now I know that being polarizing is um, an aspect of our sport. Every single person that is incredible at our sport, somebody hates them. Somebody doesn't believe they're good. Somebody mm. is a naysayer. Like every single person that's worth their salt has somebody, if not hundreds of people, going, nah, he's shit or nah. <laughs> shit, I don't know what doing, you know? That's just part of our sport. And you mm. know what? Whatever. Like, whatever. Cool. Like, if they're not talking about you, they're talking about someone else. So, mm. sweet. Like, <laughs> it's one of the most difficult hurdles that jiu-jitsu has because like especially at white and blue belt a lot of people feel like they have something to prove either to themselves or to their coaches and yeah it's kind of detrimental to the process because you focus so much on either competing or progressing through the belts that you don't actually get to enjoy the experience of being a white belt or yeah. being a blue belt um it's something yeah. that I experienced uh, like halfway through my white belt. I know that much. Like I overcompeted because I felt like I oh. needed to prove something. But yeah, like now I have a very laid back approach to jujitsu in that yeah. I know the things that I like. I know the things that I want to train. I know that if I do compete, the outcome doesn't matter. It's more about oh. going and doing it rather than yeah like ending up on the podium so it takes a lot of uh stress off my shoulders because like yeah 
if my coaches see me lose, they're not going to come over to me and be like, yeah, so we can't have you back at the gym anymore. Um, you're going to have to leave. <laughs> Find somewhere else. We don't train losers. Like, <laughs> that's not how the sport goes. Like, um, it's just not how it goes. No. Yeah. yeah. So for most people, um, at least at the beginning of the journey, like it's very stressful because like in most sports, it's about winning and being the yeah. better team. But in jiu-jitsu most of it's about losing and figuring out why yeah. <laughs> so it's it's, it's a really weird um shift in mindset and like yeah i love the feeling of stepping off the mat after a competition like especially if i've lost and have like my oh. instructor come up to me and go you know what you did wrong didn't you and i'm like yeah no i'm still i'm high on endorphins <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna have to tell me like, I but... remember nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> but um, like competition in particularly is it's stressful anyway, and going in with yeah. the additional like worry of I hope I don't make them feel bad about my jujitsu. Yeah. Like it's yeah. not going to happen. They see you train like just because yeah. you can't turn it on at competition doesn't mean that you're bad at jiu-jitsu it just means that your objective is different to like theirs yeah it's fine yeah and i think that that like there's something in that like i mean i'm not i'm not discrediting like anything that i've achieved or minimizing anything about my belt or like what i've done or whatever but the reality is like we know different, right? It's just I've been in for 10 years and, like, other people have. This is, this, is, this is what it is, right? So if you think, if you project it yourself, like, say there was, like, a flash forward, whatever amount of years it is to, like, or months or whatever the hell it is to your black belt, right? I'm no different. I'm no different than the, per the person that's the white belt freaking out and, like, thinking, oh, God, I hope they don't judge me or whatever. The blue belt is feeling like that as well. Like, I'm no different. So why would I judge my students or my friends when they go and compete? There wasn't some magical thing that happened when I became a black belt that all of a sudden I'm like, well, oh, none of you are good enough for me. Like, <laughs> what the hell? Like, it just doesn't make any sense, you know? Like, and there's this weird, like, experience definitely for me now, like, like, I'm seeing behind the curtain of Oz and I'm on the other side of the black belt and I try to, like, you know, talk to as many people as I can about it to, like, try to shed some of this, like, hierarchy, dogma bullshit. Like, yes, my black belt is a black belt, yes, but I'm trying to, like, normalise it all a little bit more because and bring it all down a bit back down to earth as humans because the reality is I watch my students, like, freak out before a comp because they think that I want them to compete, you know? And it's like this vice versa thing. I'm like, well, if you want to compete, you should compete. And then nobody knows who's talking about, like, if there's, like, an underlying, like, motivation or whatever, like, and then I don't know whether they're thinking, I have heard afterwards, but they're like, you know, if I don't compete, maybe she won't look at me for a belt or maybe she won't think that I'm dedicated or maybe she won't. I don't think any of those things. If you want to compete, you should just compete. Like, <laughs> if you want to buy a new dress, you should just buy a new dress, you know? Like, don't think about 
my needs and wants. All I want to do is make you better at jiu-jitsu. If you think that competing contributes to that in your journey, cool. I'll try to support you like as best I can. I'll try to get you prepared. I'm worried about your safety. Is all I give a shit, shit about. Your safety mentally and physically, that's all I care about. So if you're not prepared, I will do my best to contribute to some of that. And usually physically is the only thing that I'm qualified to help with. So I'll try to support in some way, you know, like, but for sure I'm going to fuck up. Like, for sure I'm going to say the wrong thing at some point and, like, I'll say one sentence and you'll hear it as some, like, kind of, some kind of gospel that meant more than I, I meant it to, you know. Like, I know I'm guilty of that too. As I was coming up, I talked to coaches about competing or whatever and they'd say some throwaway line, but I'd be like, holy shit. Like, and I mean, I'd say that one line to all my friends, like, I can't believe you said this or... I can't believe they told me to do this or like, what the fuck? Then he said this, you know, and I had obsessed about it. And it might have just been something that he didn't even like think about, you know? Like, so I feel like there can be a lot because coaches don't tell you everything about your progress or whatever, because the reality is you probably don't even know all of it. But there's this kind of like secrecy. So there's an assumption from students very often that more is being said or thought about them and their progress and their competition mm. um, involvement than actually is, you know? Like, mm. yeah. Like, everyone's I'm the main character of their own book. 100%. This is exactly <laughs> right. So I'm not as I'm not obsessing about whether you enter a comp or not like you are. Mm. And none of my coaches did for me either, you know? Like, if you want to do the comp, you should totally do the comp, but it's not for anyone else but you and that should be like a blanket rule like set across the board unless of course you're at a gym that is like you have to compete because this is what the gym does cool like but you signed up for that gym and you stayed at that gym <laughs> like, yeah <laughs> so that says something about what you want to you know like if you don't like it you don't train it so like yeah it's uh, it's a comp it's a complicated mm. complicated weird power dynamic between two totally normal human beings, you know, <laughs> that otherwise would be, like, equal, you know? Mm. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, so, <laughs> like, Did I take this off track? I'm real good at that. <laughs> no, it's, it's actually quite fine. <laughs> um, wow. <laughs> so, um. As someone who's relatively new to the sport personally, like I find that the yeah. people that I um, looked up to in the sport at the beginning, uh, uh, like it shifts like quite a lot for sure. me because the more I get into the sport, the more I realize what I like to do. So like yeah. different people do different things, obviously. So um, yeah, I'd be interested to know who like your first role model was in uh, jiu-jitsu mm. and how your relationship with role models in the sport has shifted over time mm. yeah so can i can i talk briefly about my first role model in martial arts is that you can talk about cool? whatever you want this is a platform <laughs> for you <laughs> okay so and i i do want to talk about him because um i've never actually spoken about aj before mainly because, and I mentioned this before, it's like not my story to tell and um, he has told it quite publicly. I, I actually spoke to him today um, and asked his permission to talk about it. So I started 
martial arts with Krav Maga. Um, and I started because I saw this um, I saw this ad in something. I don't know what it was in, but it was an ad that, that said "Fight Like a Girl," and it just had this photo, you know, it was this hard ass, just like I wanted to so badly be this person, right? So my coach AJ was living as a woman pre-transition back in the day. So AJ now is a very open, proud trans man. And for me to see this figure in the martial arts community um, at the time, he was living as a woman and married to um, a woman, um, had created a system within martial arts of their own, had created a martial arts academy of their own, had created this whole community of their own, and it was my first experience of martial arts. So to see this figure that was just like a powerhouse of like, get out of the way, I'm doing my thing, I'm making my own space for myself, and if you want to come along for the ride, you're going to turn into a badass, and no one can question it, because fuck you, you know? Like, it's my (laughs) space, I'm doing what I want to do. And I, like, for me, it just was, like, mind-blowing, you know? Like, for this very initial interaction in in my martial arts journey was so pivotal because it's like being brought up by a staunch feminist. You just never see the world in any other way. So when that's your upbringing, if somebody says otherwise later on, you question it hard, you know. So, like, AJ taught me everything that I, I knew, you know, um, was very supportive, supported me to become an instructor. And I was young. Like, I was young and I was stupid and I was arrogant and I thought I was more important than I was because I showed some physical aptitude and decent coaching abilities, you know, and I questioned some of his business decisions, which I shouldn't have. I questioned a lot. Like, I kind of outgrew my – he raised me (laughs) Mm. and I outgrew it, you know, and I was questioning everything. Like, I don't know about this great system. You became a petulant teenager. It's fine. Yes. Like, 100%, right? Which is, like, blue belt, right? But, like, I definitely thought – I thought I was more important than I was and I – fucked up the relationship like totally totally that was all on me you know so I flew the coop and that's when I started to like work into jiu-jitsu and doing that kind of thing and like going out on my own right and that's all cool but but, like the and you know we we still talk I still like you know I still praise AJ for everything that he gave to me you know like for a powerful at the time female role model that was creating a space. Like, I mean, obviously his man, which I just didn't know then, you know, like, mm. so, but to see a woman in that space was really important for me. But then even further, when he did transition to see a man in that space, a trans man in that space, like, it's so powerful because honestly, like, this, the journey of martial arts doesn't have to be, it doesn't, it's not owned by, like, dudes. It's mm. not. Like, sure, it is by AJ now, whatever. <laughs> 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 but, like, like, 
important for me to see that there's an alternative and there is a space for everyone. Mm. And AJ made a space for me, you know? So, and I went into jiu-jitsu. So my first coach um, was super sexist. Um, mm. And of course I was going to question it. My first BJJ coach was super sexist. Like, or just assumed less of me. You know, like I remember going to him and saying, oh, I want to do the Tampax or something. Oh, I want to go to the Tampax or something. The Tampax Championships, right? And he was like, oh, cool, you can organise sandwiches. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, what? He's like, yeah, that'll be really great. You can get, like, I don't know, you could either make them or you can, like, order them from Subway or something. Like, he has details for me, right? And I was just like, what the fuck? Like, the things like that... I did go on to win that competition. Like, every division, far out. Like, that's motivation, you know. But, like, everything that I came up against like that that was, like, questioning me because of my gender, because of how I'd been brought up in crab, I was just like, yeah, nah, what do you mean? Mm. Like, if there wasn't a space for me, I made one. If there was somebody telling me, no, you can't do this because you're a woman, I'm like, nah, like, what do you mean? Like, I don't understand. Like, Everything about what I saw, so initially the Crabble Guard scene was quite like a girl and then it became Guardian Defence. And like everything that I I learned at Guardian Defence about inclusive safe spaces, about, nah, question everything, about the fact if, if a space doesn't work for you, you just fucking leave. You can make your own space. You make a space that works for you because the sport is just the sport. Like, it can be learnt by anyone. You just need good people around you and you need to be safe and secure. That's it, you know? So any time I hit, like, a roadblock or whatever it was, yeah, I always questioned it. Like, I always just thought, nah, I I get to be here. <laughs> like, and it gets to be on my terms. Like, yeah. I've seen it work. So prove me wrong, you know? Sorry, I've gone off track because I'm passionate about it. But, yeah. Where was I? <laughs> no, like it, it's valuable to have role models like that in your life because you understand ah. that marginalised individuals have a space. Like, be it yeah. females, be it anyone in the LGBT community, be it people of colour. Like, it doesn't yeah. matter. The space should be, it should belong to everyone, not just this yeah, select and if, group. 100%. And if you are creating a space that, omit these people that tells me so much about you and I don't want to be anywhere near you (laughs) I want to run to the other side of the damn room and I don't feel safe around you like I I don't I don't you know so for me seeking out mentors or definitely like there was red flags for me all through the the martial arts community Mm. like based on on that you know like and the mentors that I've kind of grabbed I've, I think I've been really lucky. Like, I was much luckier in jiu-jitsu than I was in Krav Maga or yoga with, like, finding, well, no, definitely Krav, I had mentors, but and yoga and finding mentors, you know. So I was lucky to find who is now my coach and who has really always been my coach, um, Marty Gonzalez. I found him at that first gym, you know. So whether the coach and I ended up having, like, a, an ongoing coaching relationship, I was only at that first gym for 10 months. Um, and it did break down because of personality clash between me and that coach. So I left because why would I stay where I'm not like go towards 
people mm. that want you, you know? Like, so why would I stay? So I left. He still contacts, like, my best mates and stuff and says, oh, she has a problem with authority. Yeah, I have a problem <laughs> with authority, mate. It's been a decade. Move on. <laughs> I was a white belt. Who are you? <laughs> you know, like... Literally contact them and say she has a problem with authority. No, I don't. I have a pro- yeah. problem with fucking douchebaggery. So I move away from that. Like, <laughs> and if your authority is about like holding women back, cool. I have a problem with it, you know. Anyway, that aside, <laughs> I've been, <laughs> I've been. So I met Marty at that gym, and mm. I'm very grateful for that first gym because of some of the relationships that I made, and you know, like. Jiu-Jitsu is a funny thing. Like, you're in it for so long and there's so many relationships and they kind of get, like, snapshot in time. Like, so that coach was, like, not great with me and he's probably got a snapshot in his mind of who I was at that time and probably talks about me like I'm a piece of shit, you know, still to this day. Because there's that snapshot of our experience together 10 years ago, you know. Mm. And... The sport itself does change you. You do, you can develop as a person and like into a better person and learn more about yourself and learn about the shit things that you've been doing and whatnot. You know, I would hope that it helps you evolve. Mm. But the problem is that, like, definitely within the jiu-jitsu community, like that relationship or that experience that I had with him is snapshot in time. <laughs> like, I might have, he might have grown as a person. He might be a better person now. I might be a better person. But our Experiences snapshots to that like stamped in 2010, you know, and so it's difficult because that sort of stuff like then creates politics, creates problems or whatever, you know, between teams. So I think that 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 um, does affect the jiu-jitsu community. That sort of stuff, you know, like mm. even though there's an evolution, there was like that initial yeah contact, whether it's positive or negative or whatever. But um, Back to, like, Marty. I met him on the mat um, at that first gym, and he has always mentored me. So I I believe that in jiu-jitsu, you, you do need, like, two main figures is your coach, whoever it is that's running facility, running, like, a functional class, giving you guidance, giving a bit of an overview, but maybe you slightly step back from your journey, maybe not directly involved as much as, like, you know, your teammates are. I don't know how to explain. But then to have this person that's sort of your second in command, I think there's something like in Japanese language that it's like sensei and senpai or something. I don't know whether that's right. But like sort of a second in command, that Mm. brown belt that invests in in you, you know, that's not the coach. Yeah. That's this other person that, that is keen on your development and your... Yeah, and, and you can cry in front of them and you can mm. ask them the stupid questions and you can rage and whatnot, you know? Like, I think that it's yeah. important to have that, like, jump buddy, you know, that's not the coach. Yeah, someone that sees your passion them. and wants to help it yeah. grow, essentially. Yeah, and mm. so for me, that was always Marty. It was always Marty. So he, you know, he was that first person that, like, you're on the map and you're awkward as shit and then he's the first person that said, hey, you want to come for dinner tonight, you know? Like, so I got to go and hang out with the guys and talk about jiu-jitsu after training. And for me, that's when my learning really started, is literally talking about jiu-jitsu to that man. And over the years, 
he's staying in that role. All of the different gyms I've been at, he's, he's come with me. Um, and there's always been a coach who runs the class, but Marty's always been my coach and the person that translates jiu-jitsu for me. He's also like an extremely good human ethically um, and that I've always wanted to be aligned with, you know. Um, he is so supportive of me. He's so supportive of everyone on the mat. He's so supportive of Australian girls and gay. Like, I'm pretty sure he always wears an Aggie T-shirt, you know. Like, but he's just quietly, like, the coolest mentor and support that I could have, yeah, possibly asked for. So I've been really lucky. Like, and I understand my, um, and appreciate my luck with, with him. Because if I hadn't have found him, there's no way I'd still be in sport. Not a chance. Not a chance, you know. So mm. he is a huge mentor. He's um, helped me a lot, kept me focused, you know. As far as other mentors go, like, you know, I just, I love this, but, like, I randomly fangirled on Luana Algezia, you know, because she was the Hall of Famer, um, my weight, black belt when I first started. And well, I don't think she was Hall of Famer then, but she was winning her division and closing out the Open with Gabby. And they were like teammates initially. So I just thought she was everything, you know. I looked up everything I could of hers. And then like I think about a year into my journey, she came out to Australia to do a seminar and she was really cool. I was like, what the hell is this? You know, like this is awesome. So... Yeah, like, just fangirl on her hard. And then, like, over the years, like, going to seminars after seminar of hers, and then we built a friendship, you know. And then um, in my Purple World debut in Abu Dhabi, when the, we used to have to fight Purple to Black, I had to fight her. <laughs> so I fought her in Abu Dhabi. <laughs> like, went to her seminar the night before. <laughs> I had to fight her the next day. <laughs> So she's become a friend and mentor and I definitely, like, as far as jiu-jitsu influence, like, of actual jiu-jitsu and just seeing a woman carve her way through jiu-jitsu. I mean, she's married now, but, like, to see a woman blaze a trail within jiu-jitsu and not be part of, um, and all due respect to everybody that's in this situation, but not be married to a black belt dude, mm. for me... I really needed that figure, like really needed that figure um, because she's pretty rare in the jiu-jitsu community and, yeah, it was important for me to see that some uh, it, it wasn't shared with somebody else. It was yeah. hers. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's a big influence to mm. me. Mm. Yeah. And then, of course, Sophia Drysdale who <laughs> – you have to mention every time you talk about jiu-jitsu in Australia on women. So Australia's first um, female black belt, so Drysdale. I built a friendship with her very early on, like super early on, um, which was really cool. I think that um, I met her about, she got her black belt in July 2010. I would have met, met, met her about six months later. So um, she was the first black belt woman I ever rolled with and She's still a friend and she's this huge trailblazer and I've spent a lot of time with her in Vegas over the years and brought her out to teach a bunch of the Australian Girls and Gear Camp. So you see the Aggie Camp 
um, to be able to, yeah, afford to bring her back to Australia so I could hang out with her and train with her. Mm-hmm. And she she was so important to have access to, like just to see that a black belt was, cause, you know, she was the first. Like I started jiu-jitsu in um, April 2010. So when I started jiu-jitsu, there was no black belts in Australia for women. It hadn't happened yet at all. So for me to see her and, like, lay hands on her and see that she's real and tangible and it's possible was, like, you know, if you can see it, you can aspire to it. So, yeah, huge influence and, and mentor for me. Mm. Yeah. Like, the UK is kind of in the same position as mm-hmm. Australia in that we don't mm-hmm. necessarily have a great deal of female black belts. I think we're still, I think we're around 25 and about 10 of those have been in the last two years. So, yeah, like the sport itself has done a lot of growing in the past. Yeah. In the past, just like five years, like the women's sport in the UK and like uh, going to the, um, the Aga camp over the past couple of years, like mm. I've got to meet a lot of the um, female black belts in Australia yeah. and like it's so amazing like I've it's very rare to get that many that much experience on one mat like for me, mm. it's not something that I see very often like even in like the regular classes there'll normally only be like one or two black belts but then <laughs> going to the camp there's like yeah. 10 just just <laughs> milling around <laughs> enjoying themselves <laughs> Like, oh. It's so cool, huh? Like, <laughs> I mean, that's that's the magic of camp is creating, like, yeah, this this utopia of yeah depth of knowledge from women. And I mean, I don't even think that many guys have experienced that with black belt guys. Like, mm. I understand like teams like Athos, whatever. Like, yeah, cool. You walk in and everyone's got you'd be going to <laughs> sure. Like, but that's unusual, right? Like, yeah. I don't think it's it's, yeah, I just don't think it's an experience that most people have had. And then, like, when you flip it on its head and take the minority and make it happen for them, I think that's really cool. Like, it's a really fun part of the, the magic of Australian Girls and Geese. Yeah. Mm. Can we talk about yeah. Australian Girls and Geese for a moment? Because, like... Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I have been for 10 years, so, you know. Because <laughs> um, you started the, um, the A-Gig camps like when you were a blue belt like i did yeah which is insane to me but um <laughs> it's also something that like i feel that i want to do here in the uk yeah and, like, yeah so i'm having a lot of the same anxieties that i'm sure you had at the time where i'm like how can oh. i like organize these things when i don't necessarily have the experience to do this um yeah so like how did you go about like the first camp? Like, uh, you like we're just trying to get a load of women together to roll for a few days. How do you feel about it? Yeah, well, honestly, like I think I mean first to the point that you're gonna do something like it. Just mm. do it. Just do it. Don't even think about it. Like mm. if it flops, what's the worst thing that happens? There's a big open map with heaps of chicks there. Yeah, exactly. Like, like that to me. There's no fail, right? Like, mm. there's no fail, and you'll you'll fail forward. Like, it hasn't been done before, so they don't know what they're expecting. 
So really, like, it, it can't go wrong. That, and that was part of, like, I think, I mean, definitely, like, given the context of my background and when I can explain it, like, more concisely about where I came from with Krav Maga, like, of course I thought to do it. Mm. Like, I came from Krav Maga and it was, there wasn't, at the time, there wasn't a, a belt ranking system, right? It was like, stabbed or not stabbed. You're either proficient or you're not. Yeah. <laughs> like, simple, you know? And I understood that the belt ranking system in Jiu-Jitsu, when I came to Jiu-Jitsu, of course, I didn't know anything about it. My first day of Jiu-Jitsu, I saw somebody get their purple belt. I didn't even know what the hell that meant, you know? Like, like is that what? Like, I don't know. Does this happen every day? Like, I don't know what this is, you know? I hadn't looked it up. I just figured I'm bad, they're better, righto, like, you know, and I think when if you put it in that context, like, okay, so there's proficient and not proficient and you're on your way, so why why wait, especially for creating an event, you know? Like, if <laughs> I just think that, like, more than half of the population once in their lifetime creates an event that they are not prepared for and that's a wedding. They are not prepared for catering. They are not prepared for like booking a band. They are not prepared. They have no business doing that shit, you know. But it doesn't stop them. <laughs> you know? And yes, it's gonna be stressful and yes, there's gonna be like terrible things that happen that day that you're gonna talk about for years. But there is also at the core of it the love for the thing. Mm. For us like just think about it as an event mm. really honestly there is always going to be people that you can put in front of the room and the initial camps and stuff I used to put men at the front of the room which makes me cringe now mm. but it's just it's what I did because I didn't know any better I just like back then I was much more like I'm not a feminist everybody's equal <laughs> you know <laughs> I didn't really know. <laughs> I was one of those girls. <laughs> and so I was like, <laughs> why does it matter if it's a guy in front, like, teaching, like, it's the black belt, it's about the belt, not the gender, you know? And so I made mistakes, sure, totally made mistakes. I, if I had the time to do it again, would I have done it differently? Probably. I put good men, as far as I could tell at the time, in front of, the women, you know, I made mistakes with that too. Some of them weren't. And, like, that, that is what it is. At the time, you know, Soph, Soph was in America, so we didn't even have a black belt in the country. Like, she was Australian, but she was in America. Um, Esther had gotten her black belt, but she was in Tasmania, and she was, like, she'd just given birth, you know? So black belts is pretty much inaccessible. I felt... You know, as a blue belt, I felt like I had to conform and have at least a high rank running the room, and that just wasn't available as a woman. Mm. wasn't available. There was one brown belt. She wasn't interested in being the front of the room, so I was pretty much stuck. I put men in front of essentially what is my baby until we got to the ranks that we could take over, and we did pretty quickly, you know? Like, I started to put, like, judo black belt women in front of us and I started to put wrestling like elite wrestlers in front of us and just started to work around in a different way because I realized that that actually was important and I got so much pushback 
Like I got so much pushback. When I removed just the random dudes from Australian Girls and Geeks, initially it was just an open group, like mm. uh, not an open group, it was closed, but it had men and women in it. Oh, man. When I removed the, the like random white belt and blue belt dudes, holy shit, you would have thought that I stole someone's baby. Like it just was like, <laughs> this is reverse sexism. You are creating sexism. You are the problem. Like, yeah, whatever. How about you eat me until we work it out? You know? <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like a lot of that stuff. Stuff that would keep me up at night. Like I used to have anxiety attacks about that stuff. Like it was just bad. It was a bad time. Yeah. Yeah. But I think, like with all of that, I think that now times are different. And if you wanted to make a camp or whatever, right mm. now, you would have so much support. And it's mm. just about like getting bundles of seats, you know? It's more of a marketing game mm. than about the jiu-jitsu and anybody can facilitate anybody with the right energy and like willingness can make these events happen 100 percent. like because even if you don't have a brown belt or black belt there put a timer on (laughs) done you know like (laughs) if i have my time again i would have done that rather than put dudes in front of the group for sure yeah interesting See, like I had a similar experience when I put my um, first competition on. Um, Like I was running around all day, super stressed because I thought everything was falling apart. But the people that I had around me, they just got it done. And then when I came to do it again the next year, it was perfectly fine. Like I'd been through it all before. I'd seen all of the, the issues that could come up and like everything kind of writes itself. So now like I, i'm just looking for a venue where i can host people and that seems to yeah. be the hardest part <laughs> of this because um, i know yeah. i know that there are probably two or three people that i can rely on for like support and there's probably mm-hmm. a few black belts who would really want to get involved and yeah that's it's one of the good things about jujitsu in that your heroes are accessible. Like it's not yeah. something that happens every day. Like yeah. um I saw Fion smash <laughs> at like mm. every competition and then all of a sudden she's in front of me and teaching a seminar and then like oh, I get yeah. to interact with her and speak to her. Like I it's not something that I ever thought would be like <laughs> real. <laughs> Like you're a person on TV, <laughs> why why are you here in front of me? Like this is odd. It's like meeting Jack Nicholson in the street. <laughs> I think that's one of the great joys of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Like mm. it really is incredible. That's that's, that's awesome. Like I fan girl on her totally. <laughs> like she is the awesomest. And I know if I see her, like at some point, she'll sit down and have a like cup of coffee with me and like just be totally awkwardly normal (laughs) you know like just uh, that's the coolest thing like I've been I've been in lists with like people like Lucas Lafreen like yo what's up bro (laughs) (laughs) it's just just, just the craziest thing and these are people that are like making our sport it's just Mm. yeah I I love that I, I think that is one thing that totally sets us apart and 
that normalizing of our heroes. I wish that energy um, was more throughout the community. It's just mm. like we're all we're all people, yo. Like some <laughs> are a bit more skilled than others. That's it. We <laughs> let's make it normal. Like if our heroes could, like are showing us something, it's to normalize the hell out of this thing. Like mm. it's skills are acquirable, you know, and they they weren't like that before they got them like you know like it's just skills just skills and they're acquirable they're on offer mm. <laughs> it doesn't put the work in it doesn't make them like gods you know and i think that's really that's an important thing mm. Mm. well some of them see themselves as gods i've seen that that's fun yeah <laughs> yeah what a weird energy that is but whatever <laughs> yes yeah, like we're, we're, it's a diverse crowd, the old yeah. BJJ crowd. <laughs> yeah. So, I'd love to have experienced BJJ without social media. I'm, I'm mm. jealous of our forefathers. <laughs> Even though, like, definitely we're better at Jiu-Jitsu than, like, the generations before us. Like, cool, the sport's evolved and we've got more access to, like, more information and more influence mm. and, you know, all that kind of stuff and more travel, for sure, like, more places to train so many like awesome things about the internet mm. but I just would have loved to have experienced you too without all the politics yeah social media would have been cool yeah mm. I mean I'm sure the politics was still there but it would have just been cool like say it to my face yeah. or don't you know yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just yeah comment section imagine <laughs> not having that Ooh. oh my god <laughs> Like, yeah, I did. Um, I did a podcast with uh, oh Fallon Fox a couple of weeks ago, and yeah, like before I posted it, I was so nervous and anxious about posting it because I was under the impression that the comment sections would all be hijacked by people wanting to attack her because that's been literally the experience that I've found every time she's mentioned and like yeah one she doesn't deserve all of that hatred most of it's literally blind ignorance um yeah but also I don't I don't mind that energy being tied to like the podcast itself but I didn't want her experience of um, talking to me to be this massive outcry of people going, I don't like it that yeah. you can do this. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Mouth breathers. A lot of them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can understand not wanting to expose anyone to the mouth breathers. Yeah. <laughs> but look, for me, her story is valuable um like to me personally because it's something that mm. i've experienced myself but also for other people to hear because yeah like one of the things that i've found about um being trans and like i can totally understand aj's energy of fuck em. like yeah that's, that's literally yeah. what my life has been for the past five years like I suffered with like really terrible anxiety at the beginning of my transition. And there is a point where you just go, fuck it. It's like, 
it yeah. doesn't matter. And like, it, yeah. I've said it a few times on this podcast. It's one of the reasons, it's one of the things that I attribute to my success at competition where like, mm. I don't, I don't have to worry about the crowd because fuck yeah. them. Like <laughs> they don't matter to yeah. me. I'm never going to see them again. That's something that I like, <laughs> it's something that I worked out like five years ago outside of the, like competition scene like it doesn't matter to me like for me I want to get better at jiu-jitsu I'm going to compete against people who are in like my weight class although most of the time they're not in my weight class because we don't have those divisions funnily enough sure. but which is fact, you know, that's a whole nother it's, it's another conversation on that one. <laughs> 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 if your listeners aren't upset enough <laughs> I'm not with you back now. So I can't start on the way to business. <laughs> Evons or out. <laughs> yeah. But, like, the backlash that I got from competing was severe. So, like, yeah. of course my attitude towards it is going to be educate or fuck them. I don't care. Yeah. Like, if you don't yeah. want to listen to like the reasoned scientific arguments for why I should why I should be able to compete here then you don't matter to me like yeah that's it 100% uh, and like there's there's a point where like you could have it's like it's stupid but I've got this um coin separator on my desk just in front of me so I'm, I'm thinking about it and it's like you put the five cent in here and you put the ten cent in here it's like you could prepare one of those for every fucking argument. Like, <laughs> oh, you're the but this is not fair guy. Oh, you're the this guy. Like every argument that these dudes have to say against science has been said before. Whether it goes mm-hmm. into their look, this doesn't go with what I like about the world. Like whatever idiot thing they have to say was on the last comment thread. We've heard it. It's done. You were wrong before. You're mm-hmm. wrong now. Like they get to a point where because I've seen all of that stuff in the community and like if there's one thing that really like boils my blood it's the that vitriol in the community about trans people within our community because what the hell like what mm. like it makes me curious and I see it like come through in waves you know like as people like oh, sorry my phone did something with them the people doing People doing things like posting from completely different sports, from wrestling into our community just to create hatred. And it, mm. it makes me, like, I've just had to block and burn every <laughs> Facebook page or whatever, you know. Like, I, I, I totally understand. I totally understand that I'm, like, um, I'm self-editing my newsfeed. I get it. And mm. maybe I need to see other views. But I've seen that view a bunch of times. Mm hasn't made an impact, hasn't, like, proven anything against science or done anything to contribute to inclusion or bettering our sport, not one of those comments has contributed in a positive way towards anything. Mm. And I just don't want to read the same freaking like, like it's, it's, I understand that this is not my cross to burn on, but, like, <laughs> it, just, it really does boil my blood because I've seen it so many times. And it gets to a point when, yeah, I totally agree with you. You can't give a fuck about what these people think mm. because it's like they're a dime a dozen. Like, seeing you before, mate, like, cool. I don't care what this version of 
you think? Like, <laughs> you know, you're just another one of the geeks. Like, and they've outed themselves as, as complete morons, you know? It just, mm. yeah. It, I can understand your attitude on it. Of like, it gets to a mm. point, like, I'm sure it hurt at some point, but mm. it's like, full. Oh, like, what else can you say? It hasn't been said and it isn't real. Yeah. Like, it's not to say that the things that they say don't hurt because a lot of the time the the attacks, as soon as I enter a conversation, the attacks become less generalized and more personal. So, um, yeah, like, That's I ended a conversation with someone a few weeks ago and because they didn't have a retort to what, like the evidence that I put in front of them, they started saying, oh, well, just because you failed at being a man doesn't mean that I can't be an alpha. Oh and I know, exactly. So, like, a lot of the arguments that they have, like, for me, it's just idiots, imbeciles and bigots yeah. who either yeah. have grown up with this worldview and, like, grown up in privilege. That's most of what I've seen because they're blind to other people's um what's it called like uh suffering but yeah again like for me i can completely understand editing the news feed and not being like not subjecting myself to it but at the same time if i don't and those conversations happen without representation yeah then yeah. it becomes uh like a loop of like hatred towards things it's just a lot of people agreeing with each other and then there's nothing countering that argument i'm very fortunate in that the female community in the uk is mm. remarkable and there are people who will literally shut that shit down like right without me having to be there they'll be like actually you're a fucking idiot you need to stop yeah and that's yeah. really like nice but at the same time, like, uh, like there's stuff going on in the UK at the moment about actual legislation on like what trans people should be allowed access to, and like right. there's no representation in the debates. <laughs> so it's like, uh, okay, that's like a room full of men arguing over women's reproductive rights. Yeah. <laughs> like, how can yeah. how can you, yeah, how can like this that. be the conversation? Okay. It's uh, yeah, it hurts my feelings. But at the same time, yeah. like it's like it's for me, it's necessary. Stuff with, as children, like don't talk about me when I'm not in the room. Like, mm. fuck, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> at least be in the room. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like Jesus. Um, yeah, that stuff. Well, so good. That's enough. Uh, nonsense. We'll, we'll get onto something a bit more lighter. <laughs> Swear more. <laughs> I get pretty shouty. <laughs> I'm sweating from rage. <laughs> Dang it. It's the hardest cardio I've done today. <laughs> oh, my abs are getting a workout at least from all this laughing. <laughs> um, so we were talking a little bit about competition and like you've mm. had a very um, like successful competition like career like yeah as like you smashed as a blue belt like just going through your smashed. record is like 
<laughs> How much time do you yeah. have? <laughs> and then, <laughs> but like mm-hmm. it's so having a look at the um, the medals and stuff is very telling. It's it's pretty much the same as uh, it is here. Like I'm sure at blue belt you had a lot of different people to fight and like uh, run through, and then as you progressed through the belts, there were less and less people like to go through yeah. and all of that, all of that fun stuff. Um, yeah. So like personally i have very vivid recollections of all of the um the competition matches that i've had um oh wow i know it's it's good and bad (laughs) but like yeah so for you with someone with such a like a strong career like um oh what was i gonna say like do you have like a um, a match that's uh like really memorable to you something that you've held on to is like yeah that's that's like the best match i've had or like uh like a terrible performance that you you didn't feel that you were ready for (laughs) (laughs) oh that so i have apart from the sophia drysdale where you had to fight her at purple belt oh not so luana i had to fight luana oh that's it sorry I fought Mackenzie Dern that day too. That was that was a tough day at the office. <laughs> yeah, that was like Luana was nicer to me than than Mackenzie was for sure. Luana was like, like I know what a monster Luana is, but she like just chilled with me in a closed garden, just used me as a warm up round, swept me to mount, and then uh, choked me when she was like, cool, like, I'm warm now. <laughs> and she went on to, like, beast the whole division. But Mackenzie came for me. <laughs> Mackenzie fucked my shit up. <laughs> so that's memorable. But, um, yeah, so that, that uh, I mean, there's, there's so many. Like, yeah, so I, uh, listeners should know that I have all of my medals listed on my website so i've kept a track of them so you can mm. actually see what i did um that's and what I'm like that's dorky yeah it's dorky but i love it like it's, yeah. i'm proud of it you know it's, of it's course. my work so um yeah so obviously there's a heap more matches involved than just the medal so i don't remember i would say i've forgotten more than half right um but the ones that stay with you are the ones that um, for me, where I've surprised myself, you know, I, that same competition at Purple Belt in Abu Dhabi um, was the first time I subbed a black belt ever and it was that competition um, and it was, yeah, out like under the big lights of Abu Dhabi with other people that had, had um, uh, won trials or whatever. So that was, that was a big deal for me. So I don't know, like each time each time I've achieved something like that, uh, where, you know, like my first international medal was, it would have been world silver medal at Worlds at Blue Belt. I lost to Monique Elias in the um, final. And, you know, like these are names that didn't mean much to me then, but now they're the greats of the sport, you know, like so... <laughs> um, yeah, like that's a good lesson in looking left and right and realizing that um, you and all the people around you may well be the heroes 
of like other people, you mm. know, pretty soon too, you know, like we were just girls battling it out. But like, you know, now people like book your seminars and stuff like, and that happens pretty quickly. Like, um, yeah, but winning, winning that. So I had seven fights at Blue Belt um, Worlds. I had five fights to the final in, um, in my division. And then I had two fights in the open. First, I won against somebody that had won the division above me. And then, oh no, she came second in the division above me. And then the next one, I got completely mauled by somebody a couple of divisions above me. Um, but I got my first, like, uh, fireman's carry in in competition <laughs> and in that open weight. So you can only go into the open weight if you medal, you know. So, like, to get good girls and to get a fireman's in that um, circumstance is very memorable to, memorable to me. That competition itself was totally memorable to me and pivotal because it made me realise you can actually do it, like you can end up in the finals. Mm. <laughs> like next step is to win it, but like cool, I'm in the finals. Only two of us get to do this this day, you know. Like so, realizing that it's possible. Mm. Uh, that was a big event because it was one of the first ones that was like people could watch back home as well. So people were watching fights and and I got a lot of great feedback from that. And that was really cool. Um, then a pub, well, obviously, yeah, when I went to Abu Dhabi, like a while later, I mean, that was a bigger competition for me is that Abu Dhabi as a purple belt when it was merged because you get this great opportunity to fight the black belt. You're not expected to win. You're not expected to do anything, to be honest. Mm. Um, but to feel them at competition. And um, it was the first time that I I competed with no nerves because it's like, well, I'm not meant to win, mm. but I'm going to go out there and, like, put on a show if I can, you know. and it's the most beautiful thing because I almost all of those comps that you're looking at in that list I did by myself without people next to me. So I didn't I didn't have like a coach at a lot of them. I didn't have a team at a lot of them. I travelled by myself quite a lot to compete. Um, paid for it all by myself. Didn't have people bankrolling it. You know, like it was all like I wanted it to be mine. You know, I didn't want to owe anyone anything. Um, and uh, for a good chunk of my uh, journey, Demi Butler was along for the ride, which was really cool. We were on the same path, you know. She's young, coming up, real good at jiu-jitsu, really cool attitude, just a cool human to be around. Um, and so that that comp, when I subbed the black belt, Demi was recording it. And you can hear the stadium is pretty much silent and there's just this awesome Aussie accent like go kids come on kids <laughs> like, the coolest thing you know like, <laughs> it's just her going good yes and for me like that still is like one of my favourite moments it's just the silence and the pressure and the stress of, of Abu Dhabi I'll have to send you the link of the fight it's quite funny because we're fighting and it's a bit of a mess, you know, I'm a purple belt, like mm. whatever. And then I sub her and I think Demi looks away while that happens and then the ref calls it, you know, and then you hear Demi going, oh, man, like, oh, shit, like what happened? 
I really hope Jess won that. I don't know. <laughs> 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 it's funny. Like, just that cool commentary throughout the high <laughs> So that's one of my favourite matches, just because of that. Like, mm. you know, you're on the other side of the world and, like, you like I see Demi as a little sister, you know, and you just got this little sister with you and that's your crew and that's, who mm. so you're there to take on a world with. And that, to me, being these Aussie battlers that were self-funded and stuff the whole time, like, to be over there mixing it with, like, the best in the sport, literally tapping hands again, Jennifer, those moments were, like, just amazing. Like, what the hell? Like, it comes from a shared in Australia. Like, how does that even happen, you know? So that was magical. Um of course, winning bronze at Black Belt in Abu Dhabi was, like, the most magical moment of my jiu-jitsu career. I still, like, talk about that a lot. Mm. The most fun I've ever had. But it's, in fact, the match before that that I lost that is really memorable to me because I fought Tammy Mikunichi, who is arguably the best bolo, female bolo player the planet obviously she's Mikey Mitchell's sister they came up together and the the reason why I think that's one of my most memorable matches is because I swept her and that for me like I swept her and then I made a bunch of mistakes because I was in my head about it mm. I was like holy shit like you can sweep them the gods <laughs> you can sweep them like if you <laughs> you do the thing right, you can sweep, like, you can do the techniques. The techniques mm. work. The techniques work. you just got to do them right. you got to get your timing. you got to create your opportunity. And you can literally implement a technique on one of the gods of jiu-jitsu. Like, mm. it's possible. Well, I was thinking all of that shit. She swept me. That's, where I was while well, that was happening. Like, yeah. It's, um, <laughs> that was pretty cool, that one. Like, yeah. I find it, I, like, my journey's been very fortunate because I've had people um, like uh, Mauricio Gomez and uh, Hodra around, mm. like, there. And, like, the wow. thing that they are known for is the fundamentals. And when you ask them about yeah. jiu-jitsu, they say, everything works. You just have to do it properly. It and, like... Yeah, that's the mantra. Yeah, that's all you have to remember. Like, if yeah. you do it properly, right. it will work. It will work. And there you and are on the biggest stage. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh my god, she's human. <laughs> it's just so good. Like, it's it's possible, right? Like, but those moments you need to you need to experience of like, holy shit, like so. Definitely most memorable stuff for me has always been where in the moment, in the match, um, the the holistic approach that you do with your jiu-jitsu, your food, your strength and conditioning, your mindset, you're getting the right sleep, all this kind of stuff, that holistic approach comes together and you are more valuable than the sum of your parts. Mm. And those moments, are the most memorable for me as a competitor because in those moments I've done more than I actually see as my skill level, you know. And I guess um, in lots of ways I've been very lucky and now that I'm a coach I see it even more 
that I go out and I often perform the same, if not better, on a competition square than I do in the mats. And I, I definitely see that um, a lot of people have the exact opposite. And I think that it is, you can train around it. Yeah, sure. Like, <laughs> you know, like it is, like, I'm not, I get it. Like, um, definitely, oh, my, my battery's dying. I've got to plug it in. Um, definitely, I feel for people in, in that circumstance because it's super common. I would say it's more common than not. And that's why I say I'm lucky because it just, I think Kramagar, whatever, helps me like, maintain or maybe even it's just my technique style like because I have a pretty simple game like I'm pretty mm. like straight up in the suit. Um, nothing fancy all um, fundamentals all basic yeah it's all other always other <laughs> but like should be choked if I was based on uh, basic but yeah I, I think that if I could like narrow down every moment that I really think is memorable as a competitor it's been when I'm like holy shit like didn't think I could do that you know like I think that I'm pretty good because I can reliably I can rely on myself to perform on the day um I'm a pretty good I'm good at assessing how it's going to go um and I would say 98% of the time I've been right about how the comp's going to go what's going to happen um, and the cool thing is the other 2% of time I've been wrong but in the right way like I've done better than I thought I was going to do yeah awesome yeah <laughs> yeah um, <laughs> like so you might have touched on it when we were talking but like uh, like what are the Obviously, you have aspects of competing that you enjoy and you don't really enjoy as much. Like, mm. uh, what was I going to say? I can't. <laughs> so, <laughs> my my brain doesn't work. Like, not this early in the morning. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> I understand. Don't. When I get like, like jujitsu, there's like. <laughs> two people and I lose count whose turn it is, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I do the same thing on podcasts. I'm like, I was asked a question a while ago. I have no idea what I'm talking about, but I'm confident. I'm <laughs> going in hard. <laughs> Hopefully if I just keep talking, they'll cut me off and put me back on track. <laughs> so, <laughs> yes. like, with competitions, <laughs> um, do you approach like different competitions differently? Like, do you review like um, video of the people that you're going to be competing against and try and figure out things that Never. you can use, or do you just? Never. This is my game. This is what I'm going um, to. So I think that if I had of um, been, ooh, if I had of been ten years younger. Um, with my jiu-jitsu journey, it would have been different. But I didn't get to have a career in black belt, you know. I got to black belt. I mean, I started jiu-jitsu as masters. Mm. And I competed in adult my whole career. So I started jiu-jitsu when I was 30 and I retired from competition at 38. 
from the adult division. So I was eight years older than the adult division, like older than masters when I left the adult division. So at some point, well, this year I was hoping to debut in masters, um, masters two or something. I think I get to be at forty. I don't know. Um, but uh, Corona, so um, we'll put that off for another couple of years or whatever. Um, but yeah, I like. I think that if I had had a career in black belt, of course I'd be looking at who I was competing against because you'd know who you're competing against. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, like, at this stage, you know, Bia is the B-R-all and (laughs) end-all of my division internationally. (laughs) She's kind of the B-R-all and end-all of every division, the open weight, whatever, you know. She's Mm. hardcore. So, of course, you'd plan to try to fight her. At some point, you're probably facing Fion, you know, like I think she's a bit smaller than me. But, like, you start to know who your division is mm. and you might manipulate your weight or your training to fight people you want to fight. So you start, you'd probably start to um, fight styles, not people, if that makes sense. But yeah. I, yeah, I... I got three competitions in as a black belt at 38, and even then it was pushing it, you know. Like my last comp was No Gear World, which I did really well at. But at 38, to prepare for 10-minute rounds in No Gear is fucking tough. <laughs> like, <laughs> I it's feel really, it. Really, yeah, like, like. I'm not that much younger yeah. than you, and I'm already feeling it. Like, my bones are tired. Yeah. <laughs> Ten minute rounds in Nogi when you know that you don't have a guard is like (laughs) (laughs) it's a bad time ahead, you know, you gotta wrestle or you are going to lose. So that um yeah, that was enough for me at at adult. I would have loved to have competed more. My brain was still really like it only took like it's only been Corona time that I've accepted that I'm retired. To be honest, mm. um, so that took me almost three years to <laughs> accept. Um, but uh, well, this yeah, as sorry, the, yeah, this isn't even the first time that you've been told to retire, is it? Like no, oh yes, <laughs> that, that's the famous quote. Yeah, funny. <laughs> well, yeah. So <laughs> I have my coach. He was my coach from purple to brown, and at purple belt, he said you should retire from competition. So that was I would have been thirty-five then. Part of the reason, yeah. Part of the reason I competed as a black belt internationally, and part of the reason I put myself through it was because he never had. Mm. And so that moment for me, <laughs> like, so he told me to retire. I know, it's like, it's, it's ooh, like. <laughs> you're on the podium at Abu Dhabi and you're like, oh, yeah. so what have you accomplished? <laughs> that was pretty sweet. That was definitely pretty sweet. But, like, I don't know, like, for me, just knowing that, Preparing for Worlds. So I did Abu Dhabi. I won the trials and then went out to Abu Dhabi as a black belt. That was incredible. That's 
display and I medaled there, which was amazing. Um, made history for Australia and stuff, which is really, really cool. But for me, it was like the big deal for me was that moment, you know, like the gesture that the ref does, like palm to face thing when they call you onto the mat. Wearing a black belt and seeing a ref do that to me and me just taking that first one step out, it wouldn't matter to me what the hell happened after that. I knew that I was stepping a step further than all of those coaches that had told me to stop, coaches that didn't support me, coaches that didn't, yeah, have my back, you know. That was a step that they'd never taken. And to me, that was so important to achieve that there was literally nothing that anyone could win off me at any of those competitions. Like, you could literally beat me to hell and I would have still been smiling right up at you just going, yeah, I don't care, man. Like, you don't understand what I've achieved to be here, you know, and, and what I've proven to myself, you know. Like, I think in my first years as a competitor, I was trying to, com- like, prove something to other people, but that was my full, like, final self-affirmation that I was like, yeah, okay, cool. No, you're more experienced. You're more experienced than those people that told you you couldn't. Mm. You're in fact, if there's a resume, you are more experienced. (laughs) Oh, so who would like the job? Oh, you. You there. You have done more. (laughs) And that, for me, meant everything. Like, Mm. and it's not about, like, saying, like, fuck you to those guys or whatever. It's more about being absolutely certain and validated in myself. I know I can stand in front of a room full of people and know that I have that experience to share with them, you know, and I am more qualified than a lot of the male coaches in Australia mm. simply because that is more yeah. qualified. Like that. Yeah. You put your skills to the test. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's true, you know. Like mm. one thing, um, talk about regrets but not that you asked, but I'm just going to talk about them. <laughs> the one thing that I totally regret because for me, um, it was a lifetime goal to do an open weight in the gi at black belt. Mm. And because I have never had anyone ahead of me um, that even gone to compete at Worlds as a black belt, I didn't have enough information. And you have to register for the black belt open the day before. <laughs> so every Worlds I've been to, you win a medal and then you go to the open weight. And mm. so that, for me, I was like, cool, like, if I won a medal as a black belt at Worlds, that would be A, bullshit, but B, like, oh, my God, and C, I'd get to go into the open, right? And that's all that's all about. Mm. For me, that was, like, ultimate goal. But I didn't know that you could just enter. And so I was lying in bed the night before the comp, like, and somebody had put it up on the Instagram stories that they were drawing up the bracket. And my heart, like, you know that Nelson oh, moment? No. Of, not Nelson. The... Uh, What's his name? Wiggum's kid, Ralph. Ralph. My heart is like, oh, like no. <laughs> what are you <laughs> So that's my only black belt regret, but I did get to do the open weight in Nogi. So I mm. I did get to do it. It's it's still not the same, but whatever. Whatever. <laughs> you know, it happens. Anyway, but you asked me about like prep for comp. Mm. It's different. Each belt different. Mm. I didn't research people that I was fighting ever. I always just went out. My coach, so Marty is is very systematic. Like he's very like um, no bullshit, you know. Mm. Um, and 
we the the mantra that I had as like a white and blue belt was you pass once, you control once, you submit if it's there. Mm. That's it. If you were in any other position, you had to make a pass to make that sequence happen. If you got pulled off the pass, you make that sequence happen. So if we're standing, what do you have to do? Put them on the ground <laughs> because you pass once, you control once, and you submit if it's there. Are you on your back? Get up somehow. <laughs> if that's a sweep, lovely. If it's a fist to the face, whatever. Pass once, control once, submit if it's there. And that was it. Mm. So that's prep as well, right? Like for every every training session or whatever, like I didn't play with bolos or anything until like way, way, way into my, my jiu-jitsu, like brown belt, black belt, I think, because it wasn't on the path. Pass once, control once, submit if it's there. Like why would I be in Delaheva? Like let's not be here. Pass once, control once, submit if it's there. <laughs> so that was my training and my mentality which isn't very self-expressive or playful or whatever it just was um utilitarian you know and our prep was always keep what works and discard what doesn't so we do a comp if we come back with a medal we repeat that process if we do a comp and my gap wasn't enough we change that if we focus too much on technique we change that like it literally was like just practical mm. like like, I liken it to playing, I don't know whether anybody knows this reference because I'm old or whatever, but the game Mastermind where you've got, like, a bunch of coloured pegs mm. and, like, you just have to, like, systematically guess which coloured pegs the other person has put behind a screen. Mm. And you do that by keeping the ones that work and you get the get rid of the ones that don't. And that's pretty much just how I work jiu-jitsu. Mm. Yeah. So has yep. your approach to competition changed between uh, going from the black belt adult divisions to like hopefully going on to compete at the master's divisions? Like are you going to make any changes to how you approach the competition or is it just rinse and repeat what you've been doing? Um, well, I haven't started yet. So that's a, like uh, TBC, you know, like we've lost the better part of a year. Mm. Definitely, I wouldn't walk into a competition without prep. Like, I just wouldn't do it. And I want, like, I know I need an eight-week camp. Like, I, that's my sweet spot. Ten's too long, six is too short, eight's the go. And I wouldn't go into a camp without a season of training. Mm. So... This year's gone for me. Like maybe I'll create a season of training if we get to go back to training, but I think Australia's going to be in and out of full lockdown for the rest of this year until there's a vaccine, you know. So mm. I don't think it's just Australia. <laughs> yeah, I'm only speaking like just Australia because I have no idea what's happening with the news outside of my little bubble, and I think we're all in a very similar spot. But um yeah, I, this year's gone, so this year, like, as far as competition goes, and I still don't know what Masters looks like for me. The reality is it's not really easier. It's just shorter matches. So, um, yeah, the, the women that are in Masters were a problem for me when I was competing against them as a purple belt, and they will likely be a problem for me now. <laughs> <laughs> They've only yeah. gotten better. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They've just had more time to 
marinate. Dang it. <laughs> yeah. So, so it's true. I don't think it would be right to talk about competing without also talking about um, injuries. Mm. Excuse me. Yeah. And um, some injury prevention. Like, I know you've had a few injuries through your career. Um, mm. Some of them not even from jujitsu. <laughs> like, <laughs> that is true. <laughs> like, yep. So you you shattered your ankle. To the best of my knowledge, like snowboarding, yeah. When you were young, snowboarding, like, yeah. How? Firstly, how did you recover <laughs> from that? And secondly, has that had uh, an impact on your actual training moving forward, or is it like you were young, so it just it's it sorted itself out? Uh so I that was I mean that was a long time ago. I was nineteen, so we're talking twenty one years ago. Oh, wow. Um. Yeah, so I was a snowboarder. I was big into it and um, planning to make like an A gig for snowboarding. Mm. Um, then I shattered my ankle when I was like doing, well, I was down for the season to like make all the networking connections, yada, yada, set up the business, whatever. Uh, shattered the ankle and that was a career-ending injury as far as I was concerned because I didn't, I was 19, I hadn't experienced injuries before. I thought that if you hurt, that's just you done for sport for life because I thought 19 was old as well, you know, <laughs> like all of that stuff, just complete ignoramus. But, like, you've only ever seen, like, I don't know, ABC specials or whatever they are, and it's like, and then his career ended at the age of 21 because of a horrific <laughs> injury. And I just, like, I thought I was one of them. Yeah. So... I did, yeah, I, I needed surgery, couldn't afford it, and so I spent a lot of time working shitty jobs to pay for that surgery. Um, and I spiralled, you know, like without support, without um, support, without understanding, mm. you know, like the first kind of um, life-affecting injury I think is a pivotal moment for most people because you've never been like that before. like. Mm. Um, and yeah, it took them a long time. So I think it took them, it was like seven and a half months. I walked on that thing, like just as mush and then they worked it out and then I had the surgery. So it took me out for years and then I gained a lot of weight, went through massive depression and, and yeah, like things were bad. Like I just, I was totally thrown off sport mm. entirely, um, and didn't return until I was. Yeah, like into Krav Maga and stuff, you know. So um, that was that was bleak, and definitely when I get injured now, I I get pretty scared because I know how depressed I can get and how dark I can get. So now I'm a little bit better with getting psychological support and going to a psych as well mm. as going to a physio. <laughs> a little bit better with it. <laughs> I'm not perfect at it, but I'm better, you know, mm. like. Um, but as far as like its impact on me as an athlete now, it hasn't really had much impact. I mean, I'll say that, but right now it's, mm. it's actually really bad. That same ankle is really bad, but for a different reason. Um, yeah, I, I've been very lucky, I think, as far as injuries go. That was part of like the conversations with my coach after, um, 
uh, black belt debut and, you know, meddling in at, at Nogi Worlds and meddling at Abu Dhabi, not at Worlds, unfortunately, but, you know, that's fair. Mm. Um, conversations with him after that, he's like, you know, people don't really retire from this sport. They either get retired mm. um, through age or injury, you know, and you're pretty lucky if you, like, walk away like, Woo, okay, metal, safe, <laughs> catch. Like, like, you're pretty lucky. Yeah. And you should, like, celebrate it, you know. And he was right about that. Like, I think that, like, I had a rupture my bicep at Brown Belt. That was a bummer. Mm-hmm. Definitely changed the course of um, my, I think that was my shot at being a world champion, was Brown Belt, for sure. Um, and I did it just before that season, which sucked. Mm-hmm. Sucked for, like, um, yeah, just my headspace and stuff. It, that was pretty tough. Um, and to like almost all of the girls from Australia met like one uh, world that year, and I should have. I definitely should have. Mm. It's just one of those things that happens, you know. Like, and perhaps like that experience, then the work that I put in to come back onto the map, perhaps that helped me medal at black belt, like. Mm. You know, the next year or whatever. I don't know. You, you can't. You can't say. Like, mm. maybe if I had been a world champion ever, I might have been a douchebag. <laughs> <Who knows? laughs> maybe my ego would have got out of control. We don't know. So, look, I'm a world champion. Like a... <laughs> you need to speak to put some respect on my name, okay? <laughs> Maybe I'm the relatable black belt because I never did it. I don't know. <laughs> who knows? Who knows? But, yeah, so that's just an alternative reality that I'll never know about. But mm. that injury was pretty heavy, you know? Like, I um, – and I've told this story a lot because I do get asked about it. Um, mm. it I, I left everything. I left my job. I left my apartment. I left my boyfriend. I – Sold everything I owned. I like packed it up to go take on the world. And um, from Australia, like, I mean, we're pretty remote. And to make that decision to just like commit fully to a whole year on the road by yourself without a team to take on, I had Pan Ams was the first comp I had booked. So I started with some Nagas, did, uh, I had Pan Ams booked, had Abu Dhabi booked, had. World's booked to have like every comp you could possibly find on the planet, Euros, everything booked and ready to go. And um, I left Australia in early Jan, so really early Jan, like just after Christmas, to start that that whole ball rolling because you got like Euros and everything. It just all happened so quickly. Mm. Um, and I had no bicep about two weeks later, so that was tough. You know, like, and I was all in. Like, I had no home. I had no other plans. I had everything booked, flights, accommodation. Whew, that was a heavy one and um, very questionable uh, tenterhooks into travellers' insurance, you know, because mm. of the injury. So that was pretty difficult. And, um, yeah, like, 
yeah, that was a hard time. That was a hard time. But I, I got through that with the support of family. Like, that was the first step. But also, I went ahead and followed, like, um, the route that I was on. I, I actually, like, yeah, I went and put myself in front of the coaches that I wanted to train with um, for all those comps. And I sat and I watched them coach. And I really changed my mindset about um, who, like, what I was going to spend that money because I mean that that was all the money I'd saved kind of my whole life to do one big shot at becoming a world champion, you know, like, um, and to not be able to actually train, it's like, so what do you do? And I had always kind of pushed back about, like, I didn't want to coach in case it like ruined the sport for me. Mm. But I just had to sit down and study them coaching. Not what they were coaching, but how they ran a room, how they approached a subject, how they dealt with different personality types, how they dealt with different, like everything, you know. So I literally just sat and studied them as coaches, not as the sport. Yeah. And, um, yeah, like got the most out of it that I could <laughs> at the time. And I think, like, that paid off. That, that, that act is paying off more now, but many years later than it did initially. Because once once the bicep fully like detached, I was rolling again pretty immediately. Like, and I chose not to do um, surgical intervention because mm. a I thought that that was it. I was retired. There's no point like getting it reattached because I'm retired. I'm too old. Whatever, um, and I'm not going to compete again, so it doesn't matter. Um, and, yeah, I also didn't want more time off. I just wanted to roll. It's a little bit like I'm, I'm feeling a lot of similar experiences with this six-month break, like, because mm. it's a similar time frame too, of just, like, I don't actually care about all of the bullshit, all of the stuff, all of the everything, everything that I was dreaming of. I just want to have a roll, you know? And that's, that's how it, like, after all of that, like, investment and, like, the heartbreak of that year, it really just came down to, I just like rolling. Mm. Wanting to be a world champion is, like, a byproduct of, like, loving this so much. Wanting to, like, whatever it is, you know, like, it's just about the actual role. And if I can do that, I don't give a shit. Like, everything else comes second best to that, you know. So as soon as I could roll again, I was, like, I was in. I was in hard mm. <laughs> and just sort of didn't stop, you know. Mm. But so, it was. As yeah, were, it was a shitty injury. I don't wish it upon mm. As you were going through all of that, like you were still traveling and still like going to all of these other coaching places. Did you do anything to manage the recovery of the bicep or is it like once it's torn, then that's kind of it. It's still like functional. It's just like the muscle's not going to build and grow. Yeah. So um, the issue was the four months that I tried to do um, like conservative treatment. So I, uh, uh, so what happened? It was like a grade, I don't know, two tear or whatever. And we thought that if I was conservative with it, it would like regenerate itself and reattach, you know? Like I, I initially it was still sort of there. Mm. So I was in a sling a lot. And then as soon as I was out of a sling, I'd be in pain again. So I was in a sling a lot. Like I was running a lot big runs, like with my arms strapped to my body, like literally taped to my body, I'd run, <laughs> like <laughs> madness. And then like I'd like do something like that, like and then I'd be doing the dishes and like kind of 
go to drop, like catch a cup that I'd like slightly dropped or something, and then it would go again. I'd be back in the sling, and it just, it was just a nightmare, you know. And so I got to a point where the conservative treatment, like, so I was getting lots of massages and getting like doing my physio and stuff because we were just dealing with like getting everything around it stronger. Mm. Um, and I got to a point, and this is going to sound ridiculous because I was, I was pretty crazy. Like when I was at my peak, I was pretty crazy. But I got to a point where so there was a gym that I was visiting in Montreal. I was training um, with GF team in Montreal and they had a squat rack and everything up the back and they, they have this thing that like you go to class and you drill for an hour. There's, they've got all these lists on the wall. I don't know what they have now, but they did. They have all these lists on the wall that's like there's the white belt list, there's the blue belt list, there's the purple belt list, yada, yada. And if you're a brown belt, you just read the list and you just go drill an hour of anything off that list. So you just go through it. You do the brown belt drill and you might be paired up with whoever. They might be doing different drills and you go for an hour, like five minutes each or whatever it was. I can't really remember the exact details, but it was an hour of drilling. I never drilled in my life. I'm just not a driller. <laughs> I just like to roll. That's it, you know. But my arm was busted, so I would drill. So I would drill and that was kind of the buy-in, right? Like, So if you did the hour of drill, you were allowed to roll for an hour. But I couldn't roll, so I would just lift at the back of the room watching all of them. And I'd been doing that for a while, like a while. Mm. So I was drilling a lot, I was lifting a lot, and I got to a point where I was back at doing five by fives with 100 kilo deads and feeling pretty comfortable, you know. Like, But I was doing it split grip, those that lift, like you'll understand what that means, and it was protecting my biceps. Mm. And I didn't really realize that. I thought that I was okay and I wasn't. So I do palm down the, the broken bicep side. So I was getting more and more confident. And then um, one of the girls was like, do you want to roll? And I was like, yes, yeah, sweet. And we rolled and that was really cool and nothing went wrong. And then there was a brown belt guy about my size. The other side of the room and he's like, yo, do you want to roll? And I was like, yeah, yo, that seems like a great idea. <laughs> was not a great idea. <laughs> so I actually ruptured my bicep fully off. Like, so there's, there's so biceps, like, this is a hard to explain just through, um, like, voice, but mm-hmm. bear with me. Bi is two, right? Like, tri is three. So bicep has two heads at the top. So you've got two insertions at the top of your arm and one of them has gone for me. So I have a unisex. So it is attached to my shoulder and is attached to my elbow, but it used to be attached in two places at my shoulder. So I've only got the one that goes into my armpit, really, not the one that goes through the top of my shoulder. So it's, I don't know, somebody else will know the terms for it, whatever. You get a Popeye bicep. It's super, (laughs) super ugly to look at, but it is attached. It just means that I've lost a lot of, um, like, literally supination strength. So turning your wrist to, like, Look at your palm. I've lost all of that strength. So rotational, I'm a nightmare. But I do still have pull. Anyway, so I was rolling with this guy when the both heads were still attached, but like one was obviously in a bad way. So rolling with this guy, and I rear naked choked him. For those of you that understand it, rear naked choked, most of you do. One hand behind their head, one hand on your bicep. So I pushed my own bicep off with my own hand. It came off in my hand. I hope you're not eating. (laughs) (laughs) I hope you're not. 
<laughs> don't need this anymore. Your whole life. <laughs> if you want to tune out, I totally understand. I'm sorry. I apologize for that very <laughs> descriptive. <laughs> Let's take a quick yeah. ten minute break. Um... <laughs> <laughs> need to walk it off. <laughs> so gross. So, like you, so peak gross. You got to feel yeah. it. Like so just come it off. Yep. Yep, that happened. It was so gross. It's so gross. Like, uh, it's the foulest thing. It's just like, and it kind of, uh, it's gross. But, okay, I'm taking it away from how gross it is. <laughs> the instant relief of pain, like, it hurt, mm. but, like, instantly I felt better because it would have been, like, kind of in pieces. Mm. It was attached to a relatively large labrum tear in my shoulder. Mm. And I think just completely going, like, fly. Like, going <laughs> disco, then the labrum tear got to settle down because it wasn't getting tugged on by some crappy, like, <laughs> for excuse the bicep, and the bicep just falls up. I've still got the video of me, like, so, you know, uh, uh, Live and Lockie Giles, right? They're both black belts in Australia, obviously made a big impact on the international scene, both of them. Oh, um, really? Live and Lockie. <laughs> yeah. So, Live and Lockie are both physiotherapists as well, right? Mm. Like, so they're just, like, full-on elite and a lot of stuff. So I video call Liv and I'm like, bro, I think <laughs> my bicep came off and she's like, oh, maybe. Like, and what I know now is not her being indecisive, it's her just going, shit, I don't want to tell her. <laughs> but it's a video of me. Like, I've still got the footage of me looking at her going, like, I think – I think, and like poking at my arm and just looking distressed and going, I, I think it's not attached. Like, I think, is it meant to be like that? Like, what? Like, I couldn't tell, you know? And she <laughs> was just looking at you like, video, please but, stop poking it. Yeah. Please. <laughs> yeah, it was a bad time, a bad time. Yeah, but I was rolling again the next day, like fully rolling, like nothing had happened. So I was super lucky with a bunch of, Things with like how the tear mm. sat and all that kind of stuff. But I had wasted four and a half months going conservative. Like, it, mm. you know, I should have just rolled and it would have actually detached that first week and I would have been rolling the whole time, would have even been able to do well. So, you know, whatever. You live and learn. But who, who, who would guess, like, oh, just roll and make it worse because it'll make it better? No. Nah. Like, I had, to <laughs> I had to think it was actually going to get better. And for like, for anybody that's met me or, like, I don't wear a lot of short sleeves or whatever because mm. it's it's pretty unsightly. Like, it's an unsightly specimen from a couple of different angles. If you've ever seen, like, mm. a Popeye bicep, yeah, like, for those listening, don't Google it. You've already been grossed out enough. <laughs> <laughs> it was actually in – because, like, I had the choice of reattaching it or not, like, when it – fully went and I, like, that was a really hard decision to make because it's like pretty time um, dependent like you have to kind of get it done straight away because like you know it's whatever and I was at Marcello's in New York and like couldn't make the decision there was a couple of people there that had had the surgery and said I wouldn't do it if I were you a couple of people like absolutely do it you know like there was a lot going on it was like almost a 50-50 ratio everyone that I talked to I talked to two people, one person would say definitely get it, the other person would say definitely don't get it, you know? Like, so it was just like a, it was really, like, confusing time in realising that a lot of, like, medical procedures 
have autonomy in it in that you have decision. It is actually a lady's choice. Like, and I didn't want that. I wanted someone to tell me, no, you need this. And no one would do that. Like every single doctor and surgeon I went to was like, well, after you. I was like, no, what do you mean? Don't leave me in charge of this body. Oh, my gosh. Like, no. <laughs> you know, so it was really tough. It was a super stressful time. Um, but in the end, one of the things that totally swayed me, one of the guys that works at Marcello's was like, well, what happens if you don't get it done? And I was like, it might look really ugly. Like we don't know what it's going to look like either. Because at that stage it was still swollen, so I didn't know whether it was going to look as gross as it does. And he was like, dude, just get, like, a full sleeve done because I've got, like, my forearm tattooed <laughs> but not my bicep. And that, like, that made me go, oh, yeah, full on. Like, just, like, get a tattoo in shadow to make it look good. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> so if I ever feel the edge, if you ever see, like, me with a full sleeve, you'll understand what happened. Insanity got the better of me. <laughs> Yeah, mm. but no medical advice was given here this day. If it's happened to you, don't listen to me. Like, I am not the example of what to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll send you a photo. If, if if you want to ask me for medical advice, I'll send you a photo of my horrific bicep and hands, <laughs> and you'll never ask me medical advice again. <laughs> Funny. So mm. I think I'm going to stop talking about injuries now. <laughs> yeah, sorry. No, no, no. <laughs> it's nothing you've said. It's just trying to process everything that's come with it. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm triggered. It's bad. That's not. <laughs> so, yeah. um, let's talk about uh, like teaching and coaching. Like you said earlier. Mm that um when you go to train you're there to train you're not you're not there to coach like you'll give advice but like coaching is the main no training is the main reason that you're there um yeah so how you've also spoken like you just spoke about your uh, journey through the americas and going to all of the different gyms like yeah. How did that develop you as like a, a coach, and what things like did you learn like throughout that journey that really guided your opinion on how to approach training and teaching other people, um, as opposed to mm. how you taught uh, like Krav Maga and yoga? Like, did did your mm. approach to those two change through those different exposures? Yeah, so um, I'm acutely aware that I'm like I'm aware of where I'm strong in areas with jujitsu, and I'm I'm a really good um, uh, problem solver. So I'm very good at identifying um, little fix, big yield problems. Mm. So where you know, I'm, I'm good at identifying that, like, where an underhook's missing or something like that, right? Um, and I'm good at giving that information to the student in a way that they can hear it um, and that they want to hear it and that they get a, a big payoff very quickly with that, um, with that 
that one little bit of information. Mm. I am not at, I'm not experienced in ongoing teaching or building people. And I see that that's lacking in my, um, in my coaching ability and experience, basically. Like, on, like as far as qualifications go, I, I'm not as qualified as the guys that are in the trenches coaching every week, starting people from white belt and developing them all the way through to confident, confident purple. Mm. I'm a very good thinker. I won't fuck with people's students. I won't change their direction. I won't take them down, like, a completely different path from what their coaches are doing. I'm a very good, like... I don't know, like hype gang for what you're already doing. And um, I, I feel like to that end, uh, I'm kind of in a bit of a niche um, and I, because I've, I've developed that over the years because of AGIC, you know, like I'll be in front of women for a short amount of time. I don't have them for very long. I want them to go home with something great. I want them to go home feeling more confident, whether that's just being a strong female role or whether mm. it's actually like, hey, this grip needs to happen, Matt. Like, you'll get good payoff if you do this grip. So that, like, that sort of stuff. Yeah, like, that's where I'm good. Mm. And I uh, like to stay in spaces that I'm good, you know? Like, mm. I... Where you can be I, the most valuable. Yes. And that, that definitely... When I definitely traveling, I was watching coach after coach after coach, you know, um, and things that really empowered me was watching Marcelo Garcia. Like, this is going to be the happiest dude on the planet, you know, like, <laughs> and for me, I was watching him manage um, Matt. So, what I was watching them do was like manage personalities because that's one of the biggest struggles that I've had with Australian girls in gay is dealing with um, the baggage that comes with the human. Um, and definitely I could do well to get further educated in that area if I'm going to stay in that area, you know. Um, I'm very good at jiu-jitsu, but I'm a pretty simple person, you know, like uh, as far as education about people. Like, But jiu-jitsu I'm real good at. So I very often get asked, to be an expert in an area that isn't jiu-jitsu um, and to watch, like, I was watching the great trying to see how they manage that and I, like, there's so many different ways to approach jiu-jitsu and there's so many different ways to offer it. Um, but for me, seeing Marcelo Garcia manage a map full of personalities that are, like, they're all world champions, they're all the best, you know, <laughs> and then he's also dealing with this really transient um, group of travellers. So, like, something that I got to experience for being there so long with, like, my injury and waiting to see doctors and stuff and, like, you know, I washed my passport while I was there. I was stuck in New York for a really long time. Um, but I was just sat in front of Marcelo and in front of Paul Shrine. I also went to the Blue Basement and watched a lot of um, Danaher, you know, like, and just seeing how different personalities and different approaches dealt with like the greats on the sport and how they're, they're interacting with each other and then how those people are then interacting with just like your common man. But also Marcelo's is like, when I first started going out to Marcelo's, I think I was a purple belt. I've been out there a lot. I think I went every year from purple through to, I haven't been there as a black belt yet. I've got to go back. But I went out there a lot. 
Um, anyway, and like I thought when I was going out there that that was the team. Like you'd, you'd have a role, like you'd go into the room, you just assume that everybody is Marcelo and you have a role and like you think you're rolling a Marcelo guy every single time, you know, like but then what I, I really saw from spending quite a lot of time, like, you know, months there, is that you see that the actual team is completely different. Like, there's, like it's very transient. People make their way to Marcelo's like Mecca, you know? Like, and they go there and they roll hard. They roll to test themselves. The reality is you're probably testing yourself against some other dudes coming from Texas to see if you're a Marcelo person, you know? (laughs) That's the odds of what the map is. But, like, Marcelo's team, they they really, like, they're dealing with people that want to prove themselves every day, you know? And just to see Marcelo manage that with joy and humour and games, like, he's really very playful. Like, he's, Mm. he's got world champions playing leapfrog, you know, and, like, race for the belt, like, you know, there's belts in the middle of the room, like, tied in knots, and you have to race for the belt, and he's got world champions doing that, like, every day, and they don't question it, they just do it, and I, like, you're looking around, I'm like, okay, these athletes are the best on the planet, and they're playing games, and that changed my mind, you know, about Mm. um, how Jiu-Jitsu can be approached. And it's Marcelo. Like, if he's rolling, smiling the whole time, literally laughing, it's Marcelo. (laughs) You can be the goat, 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 goat by having a good time. I want on board of that, you know? Mm. Like, it doesn't have to be foul. Like, yeah. So Mm. that stuff definitely, definitely influenced me in that it should be fun. You can take it. Yeah. crazy serious you can make it your whole life like looking at my fellow as a package right you can make it your whole life every single part of what you do and what you experience and every moment of your day but you can also do that with a great deal of joy and fun and still be the greatest of all time like mm. that just is everything it's yeah. everything that's you know we were talking about Theon earlier mm. that to me is why I fangirl her so hard is because she seems to be having a good time you know like yeah for sure like every time I've been to one of her seminars she's like her teaching method is really like personable she's very approachable and like she will tell you herself like I'm really scatty sometimes I'll say the wrong thing and like uh, the things that she calls the moves are very inappropriate and it's just yeah. who she is as a person. I'm with her on that. Yeah. yeah, like yeah. She puts her personality into her teaching, which is uh, yeah. very valuable for people to see because like, it feels like a contradiction in terms in like keeping it playful whilst also taking this uh, like something that can be considered a very violent sport very, very seriously. But the fact yeah. that they both go together really, really well seems um, yeah. like, what's the word I'm looking for? It seems contradictory, but it's perfect. Yeah. It's odd. But it's, it's synchronicity, it, it definitely feels like it, you know? Like, mm. they work so nicely together. But, yeah, like, I think that seeing that and realising, you know, like, world at Black Belt, for me, was it, there was a huge moment 
were like I'm looking around the map and it's like everyone's lined up ready to fight and it's like every name you've ever heard of, you know, mm. in jiu-jitsu. Like it is because it's the, like I'm standing in the bullpen with like <laughs> just lists all the DVDs you've ever watched, you know, <laughs> like all the YouTube channels you've ever watched and that last name is standing left, right, centre, you know, like in front of me and we're all like lining up the matches together and I realised that they are, yes, they are all the names of DVDs because it's not jiu-jitsu styles, there's jiu-jitsu people that create styles. Mm. They're the people. Like, it's people that's important. And then from that, you get, like, specific guard sets or whatever. Like, it's like, I don't know, like Eddie Bravo, like all the stuff that he does, it's actually the dudes that, like, created that expression of the art, not the other way around. So, like, if that's the truth, your expression of the art may well be a DVD Mm. in 10 years' time, you know, and to honour that, like, that it can be done your way, it is acquirable, and it is acquirable through any different channel, you just got to find the one that suits you, you know, or if it doesn't suit you, carve that path. Grab it, jump buddy, and just carve the path, Mm. you know, like, Characters like Vietnam weren't on the scene before, but, like, they would have been around, you know. She's just become elite. And she's proven to us by doing that that you can become elite, become one of the best, beat Bia, and be having a good time. Like, it doesn't have to be a secretive, like, army, Mm. like, nightmare, like, self-flagellation hell. Like, it can be fun. Mm. And you can be the best, you know, like. And seeing that internationally, like, was important for me. It doesn't have to be done the way that, you know, it's been done before. Mm. Um, so one of the biggest light bulb moments for me was, like, actually having a conversation with myself and asking what I actually wanted from the sport. Like, I recognise yeah. that I am a hobbyist. I'm never going to be like a world champion i'm never going to be um i'm never even going to attempt to be a world champion most likely but that's That's what i want from the sport so yeah for me it doesn't make sense to put that much stock in uh training or into um like just being very aggressive with how i want to uh train and learn in the sport so for me Mm. the realization of this is something I do for recreation. It should be fun. I should be enjoying my time yeah. in it. And Absolutely. if if I'm yeah. at home saying to myself, oh, I don't want to go to Jits this evening, like then I'm yeah. doing something wrong because it's supposed to be yeah. excellent. I can't wait to see my friends and do all of the things that I love doing. Um, yeah. So like that was a really big thing for me. And that didn't happen until I was like, um, well, I've, still relatively new in my blue belt but like just having that yeah. experience has made my journey in blue belt so much more enjoyable because i can yeah play that's all i want to do when we spar it's like i want to have yeah. as much fun as i can with the people around me and sometimes yeah. that's not what they want but it's what they get because yeah that's who i am <laughs> well but if there's anything and i think that's wonderful you know I, like i am you're a blue belt and I'm a black belt and I'm just coming to that same realisation myself. And it's been the COVID break that sort of forced my hand to think in the same way, you know, like 
So to that end, you're light years ahead of me, you know? And for me, no, but it's true. Like, it's true. I've had six months, or well, not six months, I had three months, so I had 108 days without rolling. I know a lot of people were still rolling in Australia. Um, and if you were like a professional athlete, you were still allowed to roll. For me, I made the choice not to. I just had to switch it off and go, okay, if I can't do it with my team or in the way that I want to do it, I don't want to do it at all. And I turned everything off. I turned off all seeing it on social media, everything. I just had to have it out of my sight because it was just hurting my heart too much, you know. Mm. So for me, it's been maddening and like the catastrophic and instant loss of identity, Yeah, like finances of future planning of certainty like it has really hit me hard just like everybody you know but it's also given me a lot of time to take stock and like think about what I want jiu-jitsu to look like for me on re-entry mm. and I do want a new relationship with it I want a different experience of it and my hope and my goal like you know goals four years ago were to go to black belt world the goals right now like this a day is to have roles with people I enjoy, that's like very top of the list. I want to roll with people I like all the time. <laughs> that, yeah. That's it. I don't want to. I don't want to roll with people I don't enjoy the actual company of mm. anymore. And also, I'm like going back in with a bigger sense of responsibility to myself about like I need to have a better ratio of great experiences on the mat to tough experiences with the community and the community can be really heavy, like mm. really heavy, you know. I oh, I, I know. rolled with Jean. For, yeah, like I rolled with Jean for the first time. So it was really important to me that my first roll back after all this stuff was like the right person. So I contacted Jean Albee and she is the black belt, like a little bit smaller than me, but she's um, a bit older than me as mm. well and, you know, to... She's a Being personal a hero of mine, for sure. Like, I love oh, me <laughs> She's... Oh, Jean is everybody's hero. Like, she just is that woman that, oh, like, just a goddess of goddesses, you know? <laughs> like, athlete, like, cool energy, just the coolest human on the planet. So it was really important to me that I go back into Jiu-Jitsu as it not be, like, a mindless, like, just go roll someone thing. Mm. Like, it was important to me that I arranged this this moment, you know, where mm. two black belt men just get together and Chill. do do this for them, mm. for them, for us only, not for the community, not for anybody else, but like for us, like fill up your cup first, put your mask on first, you know, before helping others. So for me, that was like like honouring it, you know, as mm. a big deal to be able to roll again for the first time. That day, within 12 hours, within 12 hours, stalker in our Instagram account, like crazy stalker going nuts that just like, and it's related to police intervention that day, right? And a guy contacting me saying, hey, um, there's a predator in the community that you need to know about. And I was like, I don't need to know about it. You need to tell the police about it. And he was like, no, no, like, you know, this is like uh, no, he's a good guy, really. Ask, but just so you know, what the heck? <laughs> Why contact me? Like, what am I gonna do? Contact the police. Contact authorities. If there's mm. a man that is not safe in the community, 
don't contact me via messenger. Contact the police. And if you're not willing to contact the police, don't get me involved because what am I going to be able to do, you know? Like, it's just not right because all I can do is escalate the police. So within, like, 12 hours of having one role, I was already heavy into two big dramas within the gypsy community. And it was, like, really, like, for me, I was like, okay, cool, no more, no more of this. I've done 10 years of this and I just, I need to have minimum, this is my rules for going back in, a one-to-one ratio of drama and good times. (laughs) So it's just going to be, like, and that's a pretty good ratio. Like, that's still giving to the community what I have to give to the community. Yeah. But from now on, like, these are my rules. Like, yes, if you come into my inbox and you ask for my help, I might just have to put you on a waiting list because I just need to, like, I need to enjoy it again. It got so heavy for me at the end of last year that I just, like, and when I say you're light years ahead of me, I mean it. Like, your goal to enjoy your roles, to prioritise, the joy mm. that's everything everything else is secondary and mm. that's my goal my personal goal is to come back into jiu-jitsu post nightmare with your your same mentality of just i just want to have a good time hit a rip to roll guys well, yeah. it'd be nice if you could just have some fun you know because i miss it like mm. i'm one thing of having the big break is realizing all that stuff mm. Like, honestly, I'm tired of all of the bullshit that comes around something that's so positive in general. Yeah. Like, so many people feel that this special thing is theirs when it belongs to everyone. And, like, the fact that they will on one hand tell, oh, jujitsu is for everyone, and then on the other hand say, apart from these people. Like... that I've always laughed it's terrible yeah it's bullshit but at the same time I don't care anymore like your opinion is literally worth less than nothing to me so why am I putting myself through it like 100% jujitsu should be fun it is fun and the people that I have around me in the sport are fun to roll with so like yeah that's where my focus needs to go rather than yeah. all of the other drama around it. It's, it's tiring. Yeah. But like, a, like we were talking before, I have a ridiculously self-destructive personality that comes with, um, like my family has like addiction issues. So I think I'm addicted to hurting myself um, emotionally right. <laughs> because this is something that I always put myself in front of. So at the moment, I don't have my one-to-one ratio of enjoyable and, like, nonsense. Yeah. Because all I get is the nonsense because that's what the online community is. Like, it's mostly yeah, it just, really is. just people puffing their chest because there's no one in front of them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to try to stick to the ratio. I think that it will help, you mm. know. <laughs> it will help put, put the world back in balance. Because it is like, like I to- I totally get it, you know. Like, and I think that you're right. I think that your voice in the community is so important. Mm. Unfortunately, that means that you get dragged into it, and it's you know, like it's like walking through a food fight. You're not going to come out, you know, not going to clean. Like, no, you're not. Like, it really is. It's a nightmare, and I, I see being stuck. Like, I get stuck in that space 
fighting the good fight of feminism within the community mm. as well. And definitely, you know, it's been a it's been a hard couple of months because the only news that I saw that I was like, well, I'm not going to be silent about this is the Delaheva situation. You know, mm. like so, it's like I turned off all social media and then like that happened. And mm. so my only contact with Jiu-Jitsu for 108 days was to be like. <laughs> screaming at the sun about this piece of shit that, you know, rapes one of one of the greatest of the sport. Like so mm. I can't I can't handle that ratio. Like I need yeah. more good. I need more good. Like because <laughs> oof, dang there's some bad, you know? Like mm. I mean, I think it's like it's such a it's such a bummer because like I, I know the solution for me is I could just like pull the shutters down and just take care of me and my own and just train within one gym. Mm. It's actually the exposure to the, the community or trying to create community or trying to help people within the community that then exposes you to the bullshit. And that is like such a bummer of a like, like catch 22 because like there's so much good out in the community and so much to want to be involved with, with Aggie. Like some of the best experiences mm. of my life have been through Aggie but also some of that works, you know? <laughs> like, so it's just like if I was just in my bubble training with my mate and never turned social media on, I wouldn't be exposed to that stuff, you know? Like, But then I also wouldn't be able to give back to the community in the same way that I have. So mm. it's like I think that's, I think that's the difference. Um, but it's one of the key differences between the people who are fighting for inclusivity within the sport and people who are putting up like bullshit arguments to it it's that you're trying to make the sport a better place for the people who come after you and yeah knowing that this fight has already been won and no one has to go through it again would be such a massive weight especially like like speaking for me as a trans person yeah if i knew that me going through all of the like nonsense that I've been through and then being put through it again and again and again would mean that someone who would have otherwise left the sport stays, it's worth it. Yeah. Like I don't yeah. mind carrying like, that burden. Like Right, yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. I'm You want that value though, right? Like so yeah. you wanna see the change in the community. Exactly. So you can see that value add. Like that that has to happen and so that means that we all actually have to mm. we have to do our part so we can bring more people in and keep them it's always been a retention game i think that all mm. the people that we want in jiu-jitsu have come to jiu-jitsu but it's on us to try to keep them mm. and it is tough like it is tough. <laughs> i can totally understand why people would walk away if they have a bad time because the ratio is out, you know? <laughs> like, yeah, the ratio exactly. needs to be better. <laughs> just the ratio sit out. If all you're ideally, exposed to is would bullshit, be... like what's the point in staying? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But ideally it would be the exact opposite flip. I wouldn't, or definitely you wouldn't have to have a one-to-one -one even, you know? But mm. I just want to like first, like little goals. It's like, for me, it's like the meat-free Monday, you know? Like, I can't be, like, a vegetarian, <laughs> but if I'm, like, six-sevenths, like, <laughs> meatitarian, one-seventh vegetarian, that does make an impact, like, mm. you know? But it's just little goals, one-to-one. -one. Hopefully, 
you know, we can change those those odds to like much much higher in the good mm. Slowly side, but you know. Like it's not yeah. something that's going to happen but overnight. It's not going to be something that happens overnight. But like, and this is like, I mean, I'm not, I don't know nothing about nothing. <laughs> but like, when you say that um, you're a self destructive person, you know, like. I, I'm just, I'm speaking, I'm processing what I need to say to myself, to you, right? <laughs> is there needs to be a cutoff. Like if you've already done the work. Yeah. If you've already done the work today, that's it. No one else gets the work, mm. you know, until next week. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, and like that's where the discipline is going to come in is like definitely, I know for me is that it's just going to have to be, hey, like, I'll chat to you next Monday after I roll. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and it just has to be like yeah. you're gonna have to wait. I see, I see your problem. I see this inbox message. Thank you for your inquiry. I'll be <laughs> back with you on Monday, and I'll have a backlog and just get better at not being always the one to fix it. You know, yeah. like it's a big burden. Yeah. Mm. Right. So, speaking of, like, teaching and coaching. Like, yeah. A gig is obviously a massive part of your life. And, like, yeah. I'm assuming that, actually, no, I'm not even going to, like, so when it comes to coaching, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, what's been the proudest moment of your career as a coach? And what would you say has been the hardest, like, part of being a coach? Ooh. Hmm. So proudest moment for me as a coach was um, my women's team coming to camp, definitely. In fact. I love them. Proudest moment. Yeah. <laughs> proudest moment for me. Like, so for context for anybody listening that wasn't there, because Chloe comes to camp with us, so, you know, <laughs> she knows what happens. I finally said yes to coaching ongoing a team um in april last year um and i was very cautious with it because like i said it's not um it's not where i've um had a forte and um i also am a little bit um no i'm a lot i'm going to qualify that i'm anti-segregation so i don't believe in women's only classes and that is going to sound weird as the head of Australian Girls and Gee, but let me explain. <laughs> <laughs> so I, Australian Girls and Gee supports a minority and creates events that wouldn't otherwise be on offer for that group of people and gives them a community and uh, involvement and um, support to affect retention within their own team. Within the team, I think that jiu-jitsu is a sport done amongst and with men. That just is what the sport is. Mm. Um, I don't think the segregation where it's a choice is a positive thing. That's just my stance. I'm not saying that other people shouldn't do it. It's just my stance personally. I don't believe in women's only classes. Um, I want integration basically is my thing um and the Australian Girls and Gee events don't affect that because it's not an ongoing service mm. I've never offered 
ongoing Australian Girls in Gear classes, for example. There's not an Australian Girls in Gear gym. It's events. So that would be akin to saying that offering competitions in jiu-jitsu means that people only train for competitions in the gym. They don't. They go away, do a competition because it fulfills them on one level <laughs> and then they go back to their gym and they train in many different ways and many different people train in many different ways at their home gym. And Australian Girls and Gee is essentially a series of events like that. Mm. They go away, they have an experience, they go back into an integrated team that we're trying to raise the um, involvement of women within. So um, I've always said no to women's only classes. I'm happy to coach mixed classes, no problems, um, but I've never asked to. Whatever you think of that information, you should probably think it's not a great thing, <laughs> and that happens a lot. Women can, like, plot with people. Women mm. can teach men and the group rather than just children and women, but whatever, I digress. Um, so there's a group of women that have been training um, under white and blue belts in um, Melbourne. They've been training for a long time off their own volition and they've been doing that because they are Muslim. So most of the ladies are covered or can't train in a mixed environment because of segregation from the culture and religion, so that uh, predominantly Turkish Muslims that I was working with. Um, and so the segregation happens at a cultural and religious level and then therefore means that they can't train unless it's a female-only environment, shutters down, all that kind of stuff. Now, for me, seeing that and seeing their dedication, that they'd been doing that for two years without the support of senior belts, and like training amongst themselves and was so dedicated and just didn't stop regardless of infighting with the guys and like because the men the men get to choose like about where they train and stuff you know and like it's just like that's just how things are mm-hmm. um culturally it's very different um they had overcome that they had agreed they had like totally done everything they needed to do to just keep training. And to me, that was just so stand out that I wanted to support it, you know? Like, so I think that the kind of people that have put two years in or even more in some cases, like, of their own energy, imagine that, a white belt and blue belt, not to have coaches in front of you. Like, they're the kind of people that really do deserve our our support. And if, Mm. if there's one thing that I would like to throw my experience and black belt and name behind it's like straight into the energy of those women because they deserve it you know like so I said yes to that job because of them not because of any other reason but because of them like to reward them Mm. um and so I did that uh for a year and uh like I mean I I don't want to speak to the cultural the religion or anything too much because i don't really know that much and i i could like mess it up like mm. poor things they'll listen to this because they love me and they support <laughs> everything that i do and i'm so sorry ladies for all of my swearing i hope you've been <laughs> i hope you're okay <laughs> swearing is not great um so yeah they um i put australian girls and gay camp 2020 up and honestly, there was not even the slightest clue in my brain that they might be able to come. Like, just because of restrictions and, like, distance from families and stuff, there's a lot of um, uh, 
I don't know, there's a, a lot around that. Like travel is a really big thing. Mm. Travel by itself is a really big thing. Mm. So for me, like the coolest thing ever was like the second ticket. It might have been the one just after yours. <laughs> <laughs> like the second ticket to be purchased was one of my women, you know, from a really conservative family. And I just like, yeah, I was all sorts of emotional. I saw it come in and could not believe it. And that she'd done it sort of with, it wasn't like the group had booked. Mm. She'd done it. I hadn't even heard that she was going. It was like, you know, I kind of might have expected it. It was like a big group of women. They're like, come on, we'll be able to do it all together. But it was just her by herself, full outlier, like just bang, yeah, I'm there, you know. And I like, I was really emotional. It brought me to tears, you know. It's like that to me, if everything, <laughs> I know. It's like it's the coolest thing. Like it's the coolest thing. And then it was just like bang, 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 one after another. And I think, I think I had thirteen of them there. Something like that, 13 or 14. I had the biggest team there out of everyone. <laughs> Me, you know, and like to come full circle like that, like just to have their support and their involvement and to realize that if anything, if anything, like 10 years of working my butt off for this thing and it's been pretty heavy going and like it's been rewarding, but it's also been like overwhelming. All of it was for that moment, for those 13 women to come to camp. Like, all of it. Can you imagine the paradise that was for them? Like, I oh just, like, like you met you met them, right? Yeah, like, you yeah, can picture the people that I'm talking yeah. about. And they just loved every second. And so there was two, there's two girls that are considerably under my age cutoff limit that I allowed to come because they're my girls and whatever. <laughs> I make the rules. I'm the boss. <laughs> it's your camp. You'll do what you want. <laughs> so we, they came, and those two girls. So they're like thirteen, yeah, like thirteen years old, eleven and thirteen, like crazy young, but crazy good at jujitsu and so dedicated, so far into it. Like they're just it's mm. everything to them, you know. And I saw those two like bashing each other, like on the mat, on a swan in the pool. <laughs> in the grass like they were out on an oval that like all the sprinklers were going like and they were just like wrestling each other in the mud you know like you know like one of those cartoons where the like cat and dog just fight like it's just like a ball of like smoke and like mm. a foot flying out and stuff they were like that from the moment they got on the boat <laughs> the moment that they left like just, it's the coolest thing like and watching them like they rolling with Jesse Jeff and mm. just Thinking about what that is for, like, an 11-year-old and a 13-year-old, like, respectively, like, to see all these women hang out with UFC fighters, you know, mm. like, pretty cool, yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, proudest moment, definitely proudest moment. Like, <laughs> that would whole, be it. That whole camp. black belt, obviously. That was, Kirsty's black belt, that was pretty mm. top of the pop for proud moments too. I couldn't yeah. stop crying, like, when, oh, when I saw it happen. <laughs> I was literally a mess. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. Oh, no. I know. Yeah. Have you seen any of the footage? I just cry the whole time. I can't actually speak. I'm the one speaking and just, like, gagging. <laughs> but the, best, the best thing about that was 
she knew, she knew. And so I was talking directly to her. That whole speech, I was talking directly to her at each of the black belts because what I did was I, like, pointed out all of the, like, kind of standout characters of each of the black belts that were in front of me and there was 11 in front of me, you know, and pointed out each of the characters. I talked about each one. So the group thought I was talking about the black belts, the black belts thought I was talking about the black belts for the whole time. Kirsty knew. Like, she knew from the moment (laughs) I started. And so we've just, like... (laughs) I like locked eyes and I'm like deep breathing, like I'm giving birth. Like, <laughs> okay, I'm gonna be all right. I'm gonna be all right. <laughs> it was so good. It was so good. Honestly, that yeah. camp, you tell me the whole camp was amazing. Like, yeah, um, like there were issues, but none of that mattered. Like, there are so oh, there are so many standout memories from my visit this year that. Like the the whole ex- the experience as a whole was just perfect. Like for me, I love that. Like, um, listening to Jess's um like talk on the I think it was Saturday evening, that was yeah, really wow. good for me. And like listening yeah. to, to her journey through it and all of that was really powerful. Listening to um. I think it was like the mother figure of your team, like give her speech at the end. Yeah. That was a real standout oh. moment for me. Like there were so many emotional moments through that camp. Yeah. A lot of the time the jujitsu didn't matter. <laughs> it's just nice seeing yeah. that many women in one place all wanting the same thing. And like knowing yeah. that that community is there is ridiculously empowering. And I, like, yeah. I loved it. Like, don't ask me to tell you what we actually learned at the camp because I don't know if I could tell you, but I do know that there are a lot of powerful <laughs> memories that I have around the camp. I hear you. I hear you there. It's like I remember barely any of it because I hadn't slept for a long time. And yeah. There was a lot of adrenaline, a lot of adrenaline. But, yeah, I, I remember rolling. <laughs> I know it mm. happened. Like, I know everyone. I remember I picked up. I one of the things I remember is I got my very first ever single arm rear naked choke, and I was like, "Oh, nice!" I know you. <laughs> I've got like really long arms, so I keep like I'll find something to talk myself down on. Like it's fine. You got really long arms. Ugh, your legs are long. <laughs> that's awesome, though. That's yeah. a fun moment. Exactly, and like. I don't like as someone who lives in their head like I have a very negative inner monologue um and it's something that I've been seeking counseling for for probably the last three years um yeah but like every time I do something that is that others would consider valuable I talk it down so if I win a competition it's because I'm big and fat if I um, do something that I've been really trying to perform, it's because the other person wasn't like putting their all into it. But that camp, yeah. all of that negative self-talk was gone. Like I was able Amazing. to, I was able to like just be in the moment for the whole thing. And like it's le- legitimately one of the greatest moments of my life. One of the greatest like I'm entire period. So proud that i'm so proud to hear that and thank you for telling me that is the greatest 
that is everything mm. to me, you know. Like, that camp's hard for me to do. And if I mm. don't hear that, like, from you, <laughs> I don't know. And I don't feel inspired to do it again, you know. Like, it's really important. <laughs> well, yeah. but, and, like, we are self-fulfilling that way, you know, because it's mm. so important. It's so important to both of us. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's really – and that's what the beauty of camp is, is that it's every single person needs it. Mm. Like it for different reasons and different shades, whatever it is, mm. but it definitely – and you can see that in – like when you look around the map, like you'll see two people like totally like really serious into their roles and you know that they need that. You know, mm. in that moment, they need that. If somebody else crying in the corner, she might just be hanging out by herself. Mm. Everyone's sweet with that, whatever. Like, she needs to be doing that mm. at that time, you know? Like, it really is. The thing is, I loved space. about. It can totally be yourself. Yeah. But the one thing that I loved most about the, the camp was you normalized emotion within the sport. Like. Oh, yeah. Seeing how yeah. emotional you got over the whole yeah. weekend was <laughs> ridiculously empowering because it's like, yeah, you're a person and you've put a lot into building what you've you've made and seeing how that affects you personally, emotionally, like should reflect on the people that you're teaching because it means as much to you as it means to giving the platform to other people. So yeah. Like that was the first time I'd ever seen someone that emotional about something that they've built within the community, and yeah, again, like I've got, I've now I've got no issues with like crying on the mat whenever I need to. No, it's normal. <laughs> it is. I mean, it really is just an emotion. Yeah. And for me, like, and I've said this before, like I see dudes rage out all the time. Mm. whatever you know I see frustration all the time like it's just another expression of emotion like mm. and it's okay just because some of us are quicker to that as the outward expression of it than others doesn't mean shit like my ability to cry on a mat like when it's required or when I need to do it mm. might actually be healthier than others' ability not to, you know? Like, I know there's plenty of men that can't and won't cry on a mat and might desperately want to, and that's even more destructive, that, like, mm. whole loop that they're stuck in. Whereas now I'm like, I just don't. I don't care. It's just another emotion that I have. Most of the time I'm laughing my ass off and mm. people, like, <laughs> tell me that they're haunted by my laugh. And it's like, they're like... <laughs> Then you were laughing at me and then you armbarred me. I'm not ever laughing at people. I'm just <laughs> laughing at the joy of it. I love it so much. Exactly. You know? But like. <laughs> every time. So every time I do anything in jujitsu, like more recently, um, as it's become more playful, like if I get a sweep, you best believe I'm going to like just shout jujitsu in their face. <laughs> and try and progress. Like, ha ha, jujitsu. Technique. Yeah. If ever I get like to within earshot of them, if my mouth is anywhere near their ear, you best believe I'm gonna sing to them. Because that's how I make jujitsu fun for myself. Yeah. I can enjoy it. Exactly. Get amongst it. 
<laughs> I have, like, recently, because, you know, like, I'm in New South Wales currently and you're allowed to roll in in um, New South Wales and Australia for the time being. We've mm. been allowed to roll for, like, 10 days or something. And so I've been doing that. And this is not my state. This is not where I, I live and and my team's not here. My team's in hard lockdown in Melbourne. Um, I, I left Melbourne right at the beginning of all this stuff in, in March. So I've been up here with my family for a long time. Um, but so every role that I have is with a brand new person for the first time. Like we're rolling for the first time. It's not my mm. team. That brings a, a new energy to it or whatever. And definitely there's a new energy to it. Like there's so many things that I'm, I just am for the first time for so many people, a woman or small or black belt or whatever. And that, that whole combination together is just like, I don't know what I'm doing with my hands, you know, like people <laughs> just freak out. And so I'm going into roles because my timing is totally out, you know, like I've been not training for three months and, you know, I've put on a bunch of weight, whatever, like it happens. I mean, no, it doesn't happen. It's COVID. Who knew it would happen? But so that has happened. And so my timing's off and there's some stuff that I used to be able to do that I'd rely on that I can't. And there's a heap of things that I forgot. Like I just remember mid-roll going, oh, my God, close that. It's a thing. Like, <laughs> like completely forgot it even existed on the planet, you know? Like it was completely oblivious to it existed. So it's just a bit weird rolling again. And you add into that, like, all the young, fit, brown belt guys want to roll with me. Like they always do, you know? And that's cool. Like I totally get it. Like. You rarely get to roll with a black belt, like, mm. get amongst it, no problem. But the amount of times that, like, this has been said to me in the past week, it's, it's hilarious, is, yeah, whoa, sorry, like, I just used all of my strength, eh? <laughs> 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 I think it's, like, it's, <laughs> it's totally a compliment. technique all they've got is strength and technique is better than strength like 90% of the time I love it (laughs) I love it though because I feel when they boost up and I'm like (laughs) 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 I love it really that's like that's when I start laughing the most is when they've gone full out the gate yeah you've already lost yeah poor child You should get on their back and get on their back and rather than trying to choke them or get an art bar, you just pat their head. Like, it's fine. You're allowed. (laughs) I think just like my constant old lady giggle is like enough for them to (laughs) just go, Yeah, this is this is 
just not right. Joyous. Excuse me. Um, right. So, I'm. I think I should think about wrapping up because I've realised that this is nearly three hours long and like <gasps> it's late for oh my you. Lord. <laughs> well, you're just a, <laughs> you're just such a pleasure to talk to. Um. <laughs> oh, where so are you? <laughs> I I have talked way too much though, but sure. <laughs> oh, honestly, don't be silly. Like this. This whole thing has nothing to do with me and everything to do with you. Your name's going to be the name that's on it. So don't worry about that. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> you talk as much as you need. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Yeah, like, in wrapping up, what would you say are some of the greatest byproducts of your career in BJJ? Like, with regards to. Well, everything really, like the people that you've met, the places that you've been, the things that you've been exposed to. Are there any things that you didn't expect from your journey and what you've been able to accomplish? Or I'm just going to leave the question there because. <laughs> yeah. Well, definitely. I mean, we're a good example, right? Mm. We're talking in the middle of a global pandemic and we're staying connected and. Like, I get to see you and chat to you and, you know, it's a sense of purpose within that. I think um, without jujitsu, definitely, like, when I switched it all off, I, I stopped being in contact with people, mm. you know. And now that I'm, like, switching jujitsu back on again, I'm reconnecting with people, yourself included, and it, it just – that – that's huge. You've come across the world to attend my events and I take that as like a massive compliment. As soon as I can, I'll come out and see you. That, just to have that mentality to be able to mm. say, oh, wow, like, so there's a chick on the other side of the world. Do you want to come over and hang out with me and 100 <laughs> chicks? Like, yeah, good. Like, just to have that mentality, you know, like mm. when I first started Jiu-Jitsu, I hadn't really even travelled Australia. Like, so I've seen my country. I've fully seen my country many, many, many times over. I've been around the world, I don't know, like every year for the past decade, many times, like within the year. Um, the world was made bigger and smaller because of jiu-jitsu to me. Like it opened up the world to me, but now like it's more real and I feel more part of it and connected to real people within it. It's not just traveling, it's going to visit friends. Um, the byproduct of that is really hard though because you want to live everywhere all at the same time and you always feel like you're missing somebody. But the joy of that is, yeah, the people that you meet and the experiences that you get to share with them that are so random, you know. Like that's what's been the most fun is like jiu-jitsu can be a constant, and a plan and then everything around that is just kind of like mm. crazy fun times that you never really expected. Um, byproduct, I guess, that I wasn't expecting is I didn't expect I could make it my life. I didn't think that this would be my life's work. I just thought it was something fun and I'm super grateful that it's been, you know, it's been 
my life and that I made it my life. Um, yeah, I, I didn't expect that at all. I also never expected to be like some kind of elite athlete. I have a hard time thinking even that I did that or was that or am that. Like, it's really, I find that really confusing. I just was, you know, little old lady that tried something, you know, and that that is huge. You can actually become really good at something with, like, time in if that's what you want. Mm. You can also keep it as, like, a side hustle, side, like, just play thing if you want as well, you know. But, yeah, I guess um, a, a, a huge sense of identity and um, my place in the world was a huge gift that, that Jiu-Jitsu gave me. Like, I definitely found myself worth through Jiu-Jitsu. I, I don't think that I had that before. Yeah. I think that's a good place to end. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much for speaking to me. It's honestly been such yeah. an honour and a privilege to have you uh, talk about your journey and your experiences with me. Um, yeah. It's, been, it's just been lovely Thanks to see your face, you. if I'm honest. Yeah. <laughs> Normally We've just it's been grinning at each other the whole time. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. <laughs> At the annual family reunion every year. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, and honestly, if I ever do get this camp set up here, like you're probably going to yeah. be one of the first people I reach out to, and I will make you come. <laughs> do it. I will definitely be there. That that to me is like one of those moments where it like comes full circle. You know, that would be the coolest thing. I've been dreaming of being able to attend an event you know that's the goal <laughs> well i'm gonna do my best um yeah but yeah um i, I totally believe in you I, I think that you will find it much more like doable than mm. it like it's, i totally believe in you this is Aww. you got this stop it you're gonna yeah. make me cry again and <laughs> I've, what? Cried, I've cried too many tears <laughs> For a Sunday, <laughs> I like hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. And also, of course, reach out. Like, if there's anything I can help with, mm. I've done a few of my time. I can help you. No way. <laughs> <laughs> Even if it's just a hype girl, you like, yes, yes, you can do it. <laughs> I'm in. I'm all in. <laughs> Get me on the phone. Okay. Excellent. I will. I. I will hold you to it. That's what I'm going to do. Brad. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, have like I a... can't believe that the first time the soundboard came out. What the heck? Well, I tried to keep the soundboard out of this podcast because, like, there are people who would deem it as, uh, like, irresponsible and, <laughs> you know, not appropriate for such meaningful conversations. <laughs> what is? <laughs> real <laughs> yeah yeah um so yeah thank you very much for speaking to me it's obviously it's been a pleasure and um yeah, yeah thanks I, for well anytime <laughs> literally anytime yeah. you're honestly a personal hero of mine i love you with all my oh. heart and soul <laughs> and um I, yeah, I can't wait to see you again it's gonna be fun i hear that right back at you we've got a yeah, Excellent. weather the storm and it will be mm. next one. 
More roles. You've got to roll again. Yes, yes. Brad. I need to get better at jujitsu because I'm terrible at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> whatever. That's just, yeah, whatever. Look, I'm not even going to speak that. Look, I was finding my feet, and then you you stuck me in ambas, but you didn't put me in a <laughs> knee bar. That's nice. <laughs> I'll make it my next goal. <laughs> <laughs> excellent, excellent. Then I will work for wrist locks. That's all I will work for on your right side because I don't feel confident that, <laughs> that your left one will survive. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Thank right. you very much. I'm going to press stop on this record thing now.